Hello and welcome to episode 90. Swear to me! I'm going to keep going, because we were doing Batman noises in the background, and you know what? I'm keeping it in there, because that was actually pretty good. Welcome to episode 90 of Random Encounter, the RPG fan podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is uh, the Christian Bale Batman. Hi, I'm Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Now I'm just confused. What are you doing now? I'm just trying to be confusing. Steve Meyer, Taylor's on the boards. I'm so confused! That was a good Batman impression, though. That, but do you notice how raspy your voice gets afterward? Like, it's it's painful. My voice is always raspy. I only work in black and sometimes very, very dark gray. Dude, how wrong is it that that movie did not get a Best Animated Feature nomination at the Oscars? Pretty wrong. Oh, my. We're talking Your about the last movie. Oh, my God. That movie was marvelous. But Jackie had a good point, and she said, like, my wife said, well, it might be because there's live action in it, not to spoil anything, but... She might be on to something with that. Maybe it, maybe there's I role. honestly don't think that's it. Uh, I feel like it's it? it has to do with the academy. Like mm-hmm. the, the composition of the people in the academy like nearly every movie this year is some form of like exploration of masculinity. So I feel like I I would be I'm interested to know what the makeup of the academy was this year or wow. whatever whatever it was. Well, that's also Caitlin in the background, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, Ninkas are all on the boards. Happy to be back. Cool, cool, cool. So how's everybody doing? I feel like we haven't had a podcast in a while, and, you know, I, I missed you guys, and I didn't have my computer for the longest time! It's funny that we haven't had a podcast in a while, because we're recording for Music of the Year in the music section, and I feel like all I'm doing is recording. I think I've recorded four or five times a week for, like, the past three weeks. Well, that's your job. It's gonna be worth it. But yeah. We got, we got Kim from Game Informer, we got a bunch of guests, it's awesome. Cool, cool, cool. We got Rob Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. It's true, I hear, I hear he's kind of a dick, though. I've I've heard that. No, but he did talk about Bible Black for like four hours. We were, trying to <laughs> we're not doing this. We're not doing this. No, we're not. But I'm just saying. I was involved, and we were having fun. I, I'm trying to bait the listeners into listening. They're gonna be like, "If I'm talking about Bible Black, I better listen." I, I, I feel like I have to say something just because Derek and I share this kinship over this. Area. All right, well, all right. I, I I set us down a bad road here. So instead, Rob, you have the floor. Uh, well, I was going to make a suggestion before I forget. We need to make sure that we do a uh, live recording while we're at MAGFest next week. Yeah, actually, yes. um, that was something I thought would be fun, too. Yeah, so we should definitely do that. But uh, otherwise, I felt like we might do like a little bit of catch-up of some of the games that we've been playing, and then we'll uh, talk a little bit about what we're looking forward to uh, in the coming years. Sound like a good idea? Sounds like a great idea, Bloodborne. Yeah, Bloodborne, Bloodborne. That's actually why I didn't. Uh, why I'm not participating in our uh, most anticipated feature coming up because I'm like everybody knows what I'm going to say. Xenoblade. Hey, there's something to be said for reliability, Rob. I I, I do what I can. I do what I can. So uh, in a in a sedan, it's wonderful. <laughs> wow, we are uh, we're just being silly tonight, and I kind of like it. Um, I've actually been playing a lot of non-RPGs lately, um, so just you know, and just to give a little bit of background on that, uh, beat the Swapper today. Nice little uh, puzzle game available on uh, play- swap. Swapped out some RPGs for the Swapper. Makes the sense. Swapper is a very, very good puzzle game. So if if you're looking for something in that kind of portal vein, and it's it's free on PS Plus right now, I think as well. Yeah, uh, I think the, I think the PS4 version. I downloaded it. I I need to play it because. Mike played it as well after you recommended it, and he said it was great, too. It's so. very clever. It's very, very clever. Uh, a little somber, um, which is surprising, uh, but it's it's very good. 
It sounds like something you'd see on like an infomercial on TV, though. It really Get does. Get the Swapper. <laughs> Billy Mays here with another fantastic product. It's the Swapper, and yeah. it's swaptastic. Oh god! So I've uh, been doing that. Uh, I'm actually right now while we're recording, playing a little Red Faction Guerrilla. Which, um, if you're looking for just an awesome open world game, and this game goes on Steam sale for like two dollars now, and they've got Steam integration now. Good lord, Red Faction Guerrilla is awesome. The same guys that made the uh, Saint Ro- Saints Row series made this just absolutely fantastic destruction derby of a game. Totally worth playing. Um, and I hope to maybe beat Dragon Age this weekend, possibly tomorrow in between the football games, and then I really need to beat Stick of Truth. Because those two games are a great game. I, I they're just two games that I I haven't had a chance to sit down and finish. And I used to be a finish games person. I think I've talked about it on the show before. And I have really gotten out of that. And I, I actually kind of wanted to pose a question to you guys, and then we'll move on to what y'all have been playing. But I, it's almost like they're packing these games with so much stuff. And I'm not complaining about that. I think that's great for you know people that really want to dig into a game for a long period of time. But for, for somebody with a limited amount of time to play video games, I'm kind of like, can we just get to the point here a little bit and finish up in a good 15, 20 hours so I can move on to something else? John brought this up a couple of years ago when he talked about like how he doesn't want longer games anymore because he's gotten older and doesn't have the time. I feel like we're sort of revisiting that discussion I used to finish everything and do everything and everything, and now I'm lucky if I even finish anything I play. Because yeah. it's like, that's why I'm finally sitting down to beat Xenoblade, which reminds me that my save file started in 2011. <laughs> and uh, that's it's actually a pretty good segue into that sort of conversation. Like, Xenoblade is a great game, and I'm playing it, and there's a lot of stuff in it where I'm just like, I don't want to do this. Like, mostly just the, the one particular set of side quests that are like, hey, kill a bunch of monsters. And I'm like, you know what? It's not even doing the quest that bothers me. It's that every town I walk into, it's like, well, I have to go to all the people with exclamation points and talk to them 40 times because they all have 40 different monsters they want me to kill. And, you know, to to their credit, they don't waste your time with that. Once you get it, it's like you don't have to go back and talk to anybody and that sort of thing. But I'm like, you know what? This game is strong enough without these fetch quests. Like, it didn't... It's honestly already gigantic. Did that bother you in Dragon Age, though? Like, because I think they're two very similar games. We've talked about that before, and I I think, you know, did did that bother you in Dragon Age, that you go into town and you have a billion quests to complete, or was was there something different? I I think Dragon Age did a better job of at least creating the illusion of variety in the quests that you do. Um, I mean, of course, there's lots of you know, kill monsters and dragons and stuff like that, but... But they had, like, a little lore with each one, and, like, you know, they weren't called, like, Monster Hunting Quest 5, Alchemoth. (laughs) (laughs) If you have to number your quests like that, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, then you know it's repetitive, and Dragon Age never does that. Right. Inquisition doesn't, so... So you're liking Xenoblade, Stephen? Yeah, but, sorry, I was turning down the volume on Xenoblade. Uh, Uh, That's the right answer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, again, to Xenoblade's credit, Dragon Age came out, what, five years after it? So, you know, of course, Dragon Age, I would expect to get that a little bit better. You know, for its time, Xenoblade is very time respectful. You know, like, especially compared to a lot of JRPGs that were coming out at that time. It's like, I never feel like I'm wasting time in Xenoblade, like, running back and forth doing crap. I feel like, you know, I'm always doing something interesting just because of the way, you know... And it's the same thing with Dragon Age. You know, in Dragon Age, you get your your little campfires that, you know, I'm exploring this area. Oh, this is a good landmark. I'll stop here because I just unlocked the ability to come back here later fully stocked. 
Xenoblade does the same thing, you know, where it's like, oh, I found a landmark. Now I can get back here quickly anytime. So it's a really good way to sort of meet out your, you know, the progress of you through an area. And, uh, you know, it's, but it, it's also tough because, like, I really want to beat Xenoblade because I main Shulk and Smash now. So I have to know the game. The sequel looks amazing, which we need to talk about that. Uh, and, you know, so I, I really want to see the end of the story. But there are times where I'm playing and I'm like, man, if I was 15, this would be the best game I've ever played. Yeah. Because I'm just like, this game never ends. Felt- you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I felt like it took me years to beat Final Fantasy VII. You know, as a, as a kid, it felt like it took forever and ever to beat that game. And when you're a kid, that's awesome. And I and when I was in college, that was awesome. I demolished uh, Dragon Quest VIII. And I, and I still like it to some extent today. Like, there are games that, you know, I'll sit down and dedicate a lot of time to them. But, like, you know, I sat Kingdom Hearts 2, the 2.5. Obviously, I'm going to spend a zillion hours doing everything in 2 and Birth by Sleep. But A, those are games I've already done that in that I know how to do it in. And B, it's like, you know, I don't I don't want to do that in every game. You know, I'm not saying that games should stop doing that, because obviously everyone's playing something different. But like, you know, I'm sitting here playing this and Final Fantasy X-2, and I'm like, one of these games is not getting the side quest done. Mm-hmm. It's funny that uh, I brought up a game that is not an RPG, but it is an open world game, which those games tend to have a lot of feature creep, and there tends to be a million things to do in them, you know, Grand Theft Auto and, and Saints Row and stuff. But as I sit here playing Red Faction Guerrilla, one thing I really appreciate about this game is that it's a very tight open world game like you can beat the main storyline in about nine or ten hours and the side missions aren't huge and the the game lacks some variety here and there but you get everything out of this game in a reasonable amount of time it's not this insane time sink which that might be good for some players but it might be bad for others others that are really looking for that really deep game to kind of dig into it's all what you're looking for but, but on the other hand, I also don't know that that's a good comparison when it comes to an RPG because, that's, you know, like, that's true. you know, look at Infamous Second Son. That's about a 10-hour game, too, with open-world stuff extra. And, you know, I love Infamous Second Son, but I didn't do the side content because I just didn't care for it. Right. You know, and, and maybe, uh, maybe South Park's a better example because you, you can beat South that Park's very a, fast. South Park's a great example because it's quick and this, there are a lot of side quests, but again... They're pretty quick, too. You know, I did just about everything in South Park. I would actually know I did everything in South Park. And, you know, that added maybe five hours onto it. But it was five hours of interest. It wasn't, you know, people I talked to people about Xenoblade who have beaten it. And they're like, yeah, at the end of the game, I went and grinded for a zillion hours to get cool gear and to fight, you know, the super bosses, which is awesome. And that's absolutely something I enjoy. We talked about this literally in the last episode. But it's not something I'm going to do in Xenoblade because I'm not, you know, there are games I'm willing to do that in. There are games I'm not. If I had more time, I would probably do it in this. But, you know, versus South Park, where it's like I spent five hours doing, you know, getting funny humor and writing, whereas in this, doing the side stuff other than the character quest is sort of like, yeah, all right, I went and killed generic monsters for 20 hours. Right. It's, it's like it's my problem with Final Fantasy 13 that the quote unquote side content is wander around this giant field and kill stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to that credit, you know, Xenoblade sort of outdoes 12 and 13. At least in my mind, because, you know, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping around topics, but I feel like it's a, this is a good game to use it as an example. You know, like we, we sort of talk about how I'm sick of the only way you interact with a JRPG being combat, 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 combat. And, you know, there some games do it better than others. Like Xenoblade has other things for you to do that sort of loop back into the combat persona style, but are also fun on their own. Like the heart to hearts are really cool. They're sort of like skits, only they, you know, matter and aren't full of JRPG tropes. Well, that scratches your Final Fantasy IX itch right there. Yeah, the skits are a lot like the ATEs in Final Fantasy IX. 
And, you know, the gem crafting, you know, I ignored it for a solid 20 hours. And then I went and gem crafted for like an hour. And I was like, wow, this is a legitimately interesting sort of metagame going yeah, on. Where like it's a rabbit hole. You can fall down. <laughs> yeah, because like so many things in the game, like I think why, why I'm, I'm so impressed with Xenoblade. And I know we talked about it years ago, but like everything ties into your character progression, like not your level, but, you know, oh, I fought with Dunbon and Sharla a lot. So they're better partners for crafting. They can share better skills in the skill tree. Like, literally every tiny thing, heart-to-hearts, crafting, is tied into your character relationships. And it's so it's like sort of what a Tales game does, only way, way more fleshed out. And that's, to me, even among, like, the pretty environments, which, you know, the game is dated, but it has great art design, and, like, the fun combat, and, you know, it's, it's respectful of your time, other than in terms of the sheer amount of content it has. You know, I think the greatest success of this game is how well it integrates all those systems and makes me want to do those other things. No, I would I would definitely agree, and uh, you know I, I think it's something that gamers kind of have to think about a little bit as they get older and as life starts to kick in. You get careers and stuff, and you know sometimes you want that big game that you can really tear into. Other times you kind of want something a little bit smaller. I was telling Caitlin before we started recording my my job this weekend is to beat Dragon Age because I've spent sixty hours with it. I loved it. I had a great time with it. Oh. You have no idea. I'm over a hundred hours, and you're farther in the main story than I am. <laughs> but so, I, but I've reached my end point. I've had enough. Like I'm like, this was a great experience. I loved it. Easily my game of last year. But I'm good now. I'm good. Now I'm done. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, I, and I, that's. I think that's a, a sort of position people are going to have a lot more going forward with games being like that more generally. Is it's like you know I had a lot of fun with this, but it's not like before you know like the PS1, PS2 era, where these games had were a little more finite. Like, you know, Shadow Hearts has a finite number of side quests that you can do. And they're all sort of, like, designed with a different philosophy, whereas Dragon Age is designed big, 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 big. So, you know, like, yeah, you could do everything in Dragon Age, but I feel like the level of fatigue on average of a player is going to be higher. And you're not going to do everything in as many games because it's just, now it's more of a time investment. Yeah, I'm already feeling fatigued in Dragon Age. I mean, I'm I love it. I'm not not enjoying what I'm playing, but I am constantly kind of reached a point where I just kind of want to beat the main story and then leave stuff behind to do afterwards. If I like say, oh, I want to play Dragon Age again, I can do that. Yeah, you you've you reached the point where you've had enough. You know, I still haven't completed all of my uh, my characters' side quests. You know, they're they're kind of companion missions. It's still a fantastic game. I absolutely adore it. But, you know, it's it's time for something new. It, it really is. I really want to beat South Park. And there, there's a couple other games that I'm really interested in playing. A couple smaller titles that I, I picked up on sale. And, you know, it, you want to have a lot of experiences, I think. And it's kind of like when you're reading a book. Like a couple of years ago, I tried to read uh, Cryptonomicon. And I realized very quickly that Neil Stevenson and I just do not see eye to eye when it comes to writing. And I ended, up, I ended up wasting a lot of time reading this book, and I, I wish it's time I had back. And I just started reading The Stand, you know, uh, a Stephen King kind of huge, epic 1,200-page book. And it's fun to read that for a little bit and to have something else to do. You know, you, you kind of have to keep your mind occupied a little bit with several things. But when it comes to gaming, I tend to try to do one game at a time because I don't want to get too distracted like I am right now. Yeah, well, I think it's also a question of the time you have to invest, you know, like... Obviously, you're younger, you've got less money, more time. You know, not that we're super old, but when we were younger, there were also fewer options for games. You know, like, 
there were none of these months where like 15 big games come out all at once. It was like, yeah, you know, maybe two or three games a month if we're lucky in the busy season. There's yeah. there are more games now, and at least I'm I'm assuming with most in most of our cases, less time, more money, and more games. So it's yeah. like the opposite problem. And yep. games are also getting bigger and bigger. Worlds are getting bigger. More, you know, content is is increasing in size and and complexity versus you know the old days of, uh, you know, old RPGs, PS One, SNES RPGs, and such. Just well, and it's it's a similar phenomenon to films too. You know, the average length of a film these days is I, I don't remember. I read it somewhere. Are you sure it was a book? Are you sure it wasn't nothing? Uh, I, I read, I, I might've been in one of my film classes, but they sort of talk about that the average length of a film now is like something like 30 minutes longer than it used to be. Like, I guess, you know, as these things get more complicated and more budgety, you know, they get longer too. Speaking of films, are we going to have a Blu-ray player at MAGFest? Probably. Cause I'm bringing the raid and the raid Two, and we are going to have some fun. I'm also bringing the live-action Roroni Kenshin movies, which are awesome. Uh, yes! No, no, thank you. I'll bring Bible Book. Oh. How about that? I don't think I want to watch that in a large group. <laughs> I'll, bring, I'll bring Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes! yes. yes. Now we're talking. Uh, I just watched that, though. I, I, I need a little break from Guardians. Well, this is so good. No, Rob, no. Rob, have you seen watch the again. live Roroni Kenshin movie? No, I'm just being stereotypical. You know, okay. I, don't, I don't like anime. <laughs> Okay, well, it's not anime. It's, it's people. I know. I'm just making fun of you, dude. I'm giving you... You like Dragon Ball Z. What's your point? Oh, my. Go ahead. Go ahead. Start with... Come at me, bro. You said come you don't me. like anime. You like Dragon Ball Z. That... You know what? No. Move on. Move on. Move on. All right. So, uh, what else do we have to talk about here? Uh, Caitlin, what have you been playing? Like, what have you been up to? Uh, well, aside from ye old Dragon Age, uh, I finally started playing... Um, Chosen Sky, uh, first chapter on my on my Vita. I've had it for like a year and just never got around to playing it because I had other things like Persona 4 Golden, which took me a year to beat. No joke. It was a lengthy game. Yes. It's an awesome game. Yes. I don't know why I couldn't finish it faster. I feel like I had to take it in chunks. Otherwise, I would get tired of it. And I don't know, something about playing handheld games. I usually, if I have my TV and my consoles... I usually gravitate towards them, even though I have my handhelds with me. It's kind of weird. Like, I would only play Persona 4 mostly when I was visiting my dad or something, and I didn't have access to my PS3 or my PS4. See, I, I played it on Vita, but I was, like, you know, living alone at the time and in grad school. So it's, like, that's all I played for, like, five months. And, I mean, I was on super ridiculous, crazy person difficulty. So I know why it took me forever. But... This is my shocked face that you played it on super courageous difficulty level. Derek bought me a beer for beating it on that. There was oh, I, I, I remember that. I remember that. There was some talk that I wouldn't be able to do it. Steven, I challenge you to play a game on super easy mode. Yes. Yes. That's do what it. we're talking about. That's what we need to do. I actually almost did that for Kingdom Hearts 1 because for some insane reason, Square Enix made it so there's a trophy for normal, for easy, and for hard mode. You don't get the two. You don't get normal and easy if you beat hard mode. You have to legitimately beat it on all three, which they fixed in KH three because they realized that's dumb. But I was legitimately considering playing the game and like sinking ten hours just to do that because I don't even care about trophies. But it's Kingdom Hearts and my ninety five percent or whatever I have on that game is driving me insane. 
Um, but so anyway, Trails in the Sky, I know that, uh, I think Derek's already talked about this uh, on a previous episode, so I won't, like, get into it. I haven't gotten very far. Uh, I'm only on the first chapter now. But I First chapter really, or first chapter? Uh, first chapter, both, I guess. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's, it's really enjoyable. I, uh, sometimes I feel like I don't really can't get into, uh, older school RPGs, you know, that sort of, that, that look, uh, isolinear and whatnot. Like, I don't know if I'd be able to go back and play Final Fantasy VII and not sort of just see, oh, wow, look at those graphics. Um, Philistine. Whereas hoping you won't say that, you know, because they're re-releasing it. Aren't you yep. excited? No. Friggin' trolls. No. <laughs> Are we still mad about that? <laughs> I'm not mad about it. I'm just like, like that was that would be like the equivalent of like if Reddit got their hands on a joke on like a, a press conference. They're like, let's totally, totally troll everybody. It was. And they did. Bad. It was successful. It was a successful troll. So, you know. Yeah, it was it was pretty bad. Square takes two steps forward and one step back. They're getting they're better. Forward. They're, they're they're figuring it out. I mean, no, well, that's what I mean. Two steps forward, one step back. You know, they're they still do derpy things, but they're also doing many fewer derpy things. Yeah, it's it's a little derpy. It, it was a little derpy what they did, but you know, we'll, we'll we'll live with it. Yes, I will. I will consider an apology from Square if they give us Final Twelve uh, Zodiac job system on PS4 and Vita. That's an apology. I would not be surprised. Uh, yeah, I think you're, I think you're going to get that eventually. Yeah, I don't know that it'll be as soon as we would have expected. Um, what makes me upset is that you know they're re-releasing that in HD, and you know they've re-released almost all the other ones. Still no nine. Nine is one, I I can I think is nine may actually be other than the online ones the only one that hasn't been re-released. Well, that's because nine isn't very good. No, I'm just kidding. I will <laughs> literally cut you. <laughs> I love nine. I love nine, and you know that. Come on, you know. No, that. well, you know why it hasn't been ported is because there's no extant PC version like there was with seven and eight. Right, right. You no, know, so it would it would require effort because I'm sure it's old enough. You know, if they lost the the assets to Kingdom Hearts one, I'm sure Final Fantasy nine is not just sitting on Yoshida's hard drive or something. How awesome would it be if it was though? Oh my god! I like the day they come out on a stage and they're like, "We're bringing back a, a Final Fantasy people like it's super high resolution Final Fantasy nine. I will probably just be dead. You'll just die from just sheer excitement. Because it's so easy for them to upscale that. You know, they if you know if if in theory, I think we shared the thread. It was on some mess like NeoGAF or something where there was like all these high resolution, like the original renders of all the areas that got you know the pre rendered in the game. You know, they start out rendered at like four thousand by three thousand, and then they get downscaled to like three hundred by two hundred or whatever PlayStation is. You know, all you got to do to upscale nine is freaking. You know, use those high-resolution renders and then redo the character models, and you have a game that looks gorgeous. Right. I mean, uh, you know, that, that's obviously simplifying it a little bit because you still got battles and stuff, but... I, I think you're going to get 12 pretty soon. Yeah, uh, much sooner than 9. I think you're, I think you'll get it. And, you know, tw- 12's an interesting Final Fantasy, but uh, anywho, anywho, where do we go from here? Uh, speaking of Final Fantasy, I am finally playing 10-2. You you mean the ultra sexy Final Fantasy, if I'm correct? It you know the Final Fantasy that felt well, the need to ruin one of the best endings in Final so, Fantasy. Yes, Project Runway Final Fantasy version. It, it, it does do that. It does do that, and I and I still stand by that. 
But, you know, for years I had not played it because, you know, when it first came out, I was like, eh, goofy looking, whatever. Um, am I the, you know, am I the only I was, one who does not mind well, wait, the wait, retcon? Wait, I'm going to let you finish. But, so, <laughs> so I'm I feel like I'm the only one. Oh, the retcon. No, yeah, yes. you're, the only one, you're the only one that doesn't you mind that. Exactly. Everyone else hates that. Because uh, I'm a romantic. Ugh. I am too. I'm a romantic too, and it was romantic and poetic that he sacrificed himself. And then they were like, ah, oh, I almost said a bad word. Forget that. Uh, it's okay. You, you, but no, so, you know, I never played 10-2, and even though I heard the job system was good, you know, whatever. I was, I was 15. All, I wanted everything to be melodramatic all the time. And <laughs> so I didn't really buy into the goofiness of it. But I'm playing it now, and at first it was sort of like tongue-in-cheek, like, yeah, I'll play this for the good combat and the dumb story. But I'm honestly sort of charmed by it to the point that I think it's – I really like it, actually. Like, it's so goofy and silly, but it's also really sort of at peace with that. Like everything sort of feeds into that, and it's it's kind of fun to be in Spira, this place where you know it was like drama, 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 drama. Now it's like yeah, you know, all the characters here are sort of derpy, and you know, Yuna says disasterific a lot, which is funny. Oh god! And you know, like their 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 victory poses are super exaggerated, and it's just it's sort of charming, and I I like how earnest it is. It's very you know that's the term. It's good natured. It's 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 silly, and I could see if you don't like silly things, not liking that. Um, but for me, I'm playing it, and it's sort of like, yeah, I like I like this perspective that it takes, and that's to say nothing of the awesome, awesome, awesome combat. <sighs> like the combat in that game is fantastic. Like it is good. I'm, I'm playing it, and I'm like, this is basically everything I like about Bravely Default, but faster. I feel like people get hung up on the, 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 the name, the, the dress sphere, and I think, oh, we're playing dress up with girls. It's just a job system. It's yeah, a name I, for a job system. I would not be surprised if there's some threatened masculinity. Like, I can't play this. I won't be a man. Uh, but, it, it, irrelevant. Like, don't get me wrong. It is girly, but like, you know, how many games do you play that are like explorations of the bro phenomenon? So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it going the other way, too. It's, it's 15. It's, yeah, it's silly. It's fun, you know. Well, I hope you guys don't think that I'm I'm one of those people that's kind of threatened by my own masculinity. But uh, when I look at that game, I, I'm slightly interested by the combat. But you know, I've watched some cutscenes and stuff, and it, it I get the derpy quality. It just doesn't do anything for me. And then when I remember my time with Final Fantasy X, you know, that ending to me. I, I've made fun of a lot of Final Fantasy endings. That's one that I really can't make fun of. That, I, I honestly think 9 and 10 have my favorite endings in the series. Yeah, I, I think 9 has story problems, but I like the ending. And I think 10 has a phenomenal ending. The fact that 10-2 does what it does and kind of craps all over the ending, that to me is pretty bad. And now, that is holding me back from playing it. I will freely admit it. Now, you know how I, you know, I've been vocal about this for years. I hate that they do that. That's also sort of like a bonus ending. It's not the actual that's, ending. Yeah. That's so true. if you do what I'm doing, which is don't get 100%, you can still get all the jobs and, you know, complete side quests. That's but true. if you don't get 100%, you don't have to see that. So I'm going to no, do no. what I should have done with Mass Effect. No, you don't. <laughs> I'm going to get just to that cusp of this is amazing, and then I'm going to stop at the terrible part. So, so right when the laser beam hits, you're going to stop. Right when it's like, now yeah. everything's nonsense. 
Steven, you have to do something very specific in a cutscene in order to. Yeah, you have to like press ending. a button or something in a cutscene. Like that yeah. part is irrespect. It does not have anything to do with your percentage completed. So if you really don't want that cutscene, just don't whistle ever. Yeah, just yeah. don't whistle. <laughs> Especially in the far plane, don't whistle. There's there's also a really funny. Uh, you know, it, to, to talk a little bit more about, like, the game itself other than the combat, there's, like, a lot of funny stuff. Like, if you talk to the old dude in Meehan High Road, I didn't know this, uh, the old dude who tells long stories, I can't remember his name. If you skip his dialogue, you actually don't get a completion point for that chapter. You have to listen to him tell his long story. Yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to actually screw yourself out of the 100% ending, if I if I know correctly. You know, I'm not having too much experience with the game, but... So, based on the guide I've read, it's sort of basically, like, there's that... There's the whistle thing, but for the most part, as long as you just go to every area and do everything and you don't fail any objectives, it's it's not terribly difficult. You know, it's more time-consuming because you have to, like, comb every area for side quests and you talk to people multiple times. But, you know, it's, you know, you can easily, you know, within as early as the first chapter not get that 100%. But again, that doesn't stop you from the gameplay, like, from getting all the jobs, which is sort of where I'm most concerned. I don't care if I talk to brother five times to learn that he's got a crush on Yuna. But, you know, as long as I can get my, my all my dress fears up, we're good to go. You had to talk to him five times? I think it was pretty obvious by the first time. Yeah, no. Well, yeah, no, it's very obvious. And he has this wacky dance he does, but digress. They also added two new jobs to the international one, and one of them is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. You start with a job called the Festivalist, and it's a job that shoots, like, fireworks and stuffed animals. It's nonsense, but it's hilarious. Put okay. have pain do that job. That's <laughs> the only option is to do have pain do it. Interesting bit of trivia. I, I was curious playing the game because I kept hearing Japanese, like the English voice actress is saying stuff in Japanese, and I was getting really confused. I was like, did they have the English voice actresses say stuff in Japanese to make them sound like Japanophiles? What? In the international version, they actually had the English voice actresses come in and record new lines, but in hmm. Japanese because the the international version always has English voices. So they say lines in Japanese and it's com- like a battle starts. Bad and- Japanese? No, well, it's okay Japanese. Like pain is like, ja, nah. Or like, you know, or they're like, Kore, mite! And I'm like, what? So it's, it's, it's so bizarre to me that they would keep that. Hmm. Strange, but you know, I, I thought I was crazy or there was a glitch, but no, it's actually just a thing that they did. Okay. I'm just going to stay out of it. I'm not interested. Rob, yeah. you like Dragon Quest Eight? That game's derpy. Dragon Quest Eight is derpy, but it's derpy from the start. This feels like retcon to derpy. Well, uh, no, it is retcon. I'm not. I'm not. I think we just got the a... pod. I think we just got the uh, podcast title. <laughs> I think we just. I think derpy. we just made it retcon to derp. <laughs> derpy from the start. Well, no, no, no. Well, like what I'm what I'm saying is that like I agree. Like you know. Yuna going from, I'm very quiet, to all of a sudden, like, I'm wearing booty shorts and jumping around shooting people in the face. Yeah, it's it's a little unbelievable. But again, the whole of Ten Two is sort of in that same tack of, like, this is silly fun rather than this is drama, drama, drama. Yeah, are we having... And it, are we it ha- would have... Go ahead. It would have been kind of boring if she had stayed the same, if she hadn't changed because of what happened at the end of Ten. Yeah, like, no. and to an extent that that's... Like, again, I think it's very abrupt... But it is sort of interesting that you say, all right, here's this character who spent her entire life, like, cloistered and, like, I'm going to die for my world. Like, all of a sudden, nah, never mind. 
I fell in love, and that dude blew up, and I killed the I killed God, and so uh, now what do I do? I'm gonna wear booty shorts and shoot people in the face. Of course. Are you gonna have a lot of fishy fun? No, but uh, a new day is dawning. Let me tell you. Oh boy. All right. Are we ready to talk about what we're excited about next year? The real topic emerges. We've had a lot of cool stuff shown off in the past couple weeks, uh, including Nintendo just basically saying, yeah, we're relevant. We got games coming out. And they do. And they do. They're jerks for not releasing the regular size new 3DS because, you know, the one that looks like a Super Nintendo. I'm still not uh, sold on that new 3DS. They got to show me more than just Xenoblade on the new 3DS for me to... Well, I think it's also sort of an iterative thing, too. Like, you know, it's like got a better screen, better battery life, the analog stick. So it's, you know, it's an it's an iteration on the hardware. How many games do you think are going to be new 3DS only? Early on, I don't think many at all. I'm, okay. I, I'm, I'm curious because Sega has sort of pulled the same thing where it's like we're going to iterate in this hardware and for the fraction of the market that has it. But, you know, on the other hand, that could also be why they're sort of not trying to push the old 3DS anymore, you know? I I feel like this is going to be extremely limited. Now maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part because I don't want to buy a new th- uh, a new 3DS. I'm kind of happy with where I am right now. So, you know, take that for what it is. But I I don't think there's going to be a lot of games on this thing. I would think of it as an iteration in the style of the DS Lite. Like yeah, the, or or the DSi. Sorry, there's a few things you can play on DSi that you can't play elsewhere. But, you know, for the most part, this is just a 3DS option for people who are wanting to get a new 3DS. Yeah, and I can live with that, you know. And and Xenoblade, I've already played it to hell and back on a console, and I still have my Wii. So if I ever wanted to play it, I could bust it out. And it's there on the new 3DS if you're interested. But they'd have to show me something pretty cool to get me... uh, to shell out the money for that, so I, I don't know. And like, and, and also think of the, the 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 audience and the target too. Like, you know, for example, the new 3DS has the NFC chip, so you can use Amiibo on it. Maybe not necessarily something we're interested in. Although I did totally buy some Amiibo recently, uh, but um, you know, it's I, I I do think it's not a bad business choice because it's like, yeah, now we can have our Amiibo on 3DS and make billions of dollars like Skylanders because you know Nintendo can actually make decent video games. Ooh. Ouch! I thought people liked Skylanders, like like the game. I maybe they do. I think so. I I always got the impression that they tolerated the game because they liked collecting the figures. But again, it's, it's totally blind. I have no idea. I'm not I'm not saying that with any authority. But uh, well, as we move through the uh, amiibos, uh, let's talk about a game that I I was a little excited about it when we saw it. It was first announced at E3. But I gotta say, the latest trailer has left me a little little cold on it. Uh, Codename Steam. The intelligent systems kind of Valkyria. Hey, we're making Valkyria Chronicles because, you know, Genesis, uh, Genesis, because Sega isn't making another Valkyria Chronicles. And I was really, really digging on that game. You know, Abe Lincoln came out, and I was like, "All right, sign me up." But I, I, I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah, go ahead. At E3, I'm pretty sure I may have been the only person who said I'm excited for this game. I didn't everybody see it. Else said I didn't it ugly. I didn't see it at E3. I heard everybody talking about it. When I actually saw it, I said to you, "Oh, that looks really cool. I like the art right, style. Right, I like right. the I like the Silver Age stuff." Because they did that thing where they didn't announce it 
like they announced it the second or third day at E3, so it kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. Yeah, and they sort of didn't even announce it at E3. They announced it like next to E3. It was like the treehouse thing that they announced. Yeah. It. Um. So I was really digging on this game, and then I, I think I actually know what it was. It's not the art style. I love that Silver Age comic booksy style art style. I think what it is is it looks like you only have four characters. Like, you have a Tiger Lily, one of the Thundercats, um, a big dude with a chin, and Tom Sawyer. I I think you get more, though, because if you use your Fire Emblem amiibo, you get Fire Emblem characters. I I really hope so, because I I honestly don't like any of those characters except for the the main chin, blonde-haired dude. I really don't like the other three. So, like, I I have to imagine you get more because, A, it's intelligence systems, and B, again... If your main cast is five characters and you have amiibos that add four characters from another series, that's sort of a weird disconnect of yeah. like, yeah, if you buy these figures, you literally double the size of your party. Well, and, um, and that's also like the – I think we'll talk about Fire Emblem in a second and my, my, we'll kind of go over um, your thoughts on it, my thoughts on it. That's one of the things I loved about Fire Emblem was the number of characters. In Fire Emblem Awakening, I love those characters. I know they're tropey, but I kind of like that. I'm I'm gonna give it an, I'm giving it another chance, so we'll see. If they do that with uh, Codename Steam, I think I'll really really like it. Maybe it's just that three out of the four characters they've shown so far. Tiger Lily isn't bad, but the the Thundercat dude and Tom Sawyer using a giant bonk boxing glove, I really don't like that. I think I, I, I think don't know why. it's not. Ugh. This is, you know, and again, this could just be the comparison, but I, I would expect a cast size more along the lines of Valkyria Chronicles in terms of story characters, because Valkyria had some, if I recall, some generic characters that you could recruit. Yeah. You, because you, you, you leveled up your death. class, you didn't level up your characters. Yeah, and people could permadeath in that game, so I, I, I get it. So I, I'm, I'm I, guessing it'll be a broader cast, but I'm thinking a broader cast and like, you know, there'll be like, you know, maybe ten characters. I hope that's what it is, because, uh, you know, I really want to like that game. I was super excited for it. It's just the last trailer left me a little lukewarm. But I, I think it looks cool. I think it looks really cool, and it reminds me that the game I'm going to play after Stick of Truth is uh, is Valkyria Chronicles. I'm giving that another shot. Yeah, I need to do that. I need to beat that. I, I love that game. It's just that damn tank battle. It's just that <laughs> goddamn tank battle. <laughs> I hate that. I think I'll like it on PC, because <sighs> save times will be faster. Yeah, that was yeah, like no, one of my no, favorite it, battles. But the I, save, yeah, I actually like that battle. That's where I stopped too. I liked it, but the save times on the PS3 were brutal. It was so bad. Like if if I don't actively want to save, that's actually one thing in the swapper that ticked me off a little bit. They you can reset puzzles, but a couple of the puzzles make it kind of a pain in the butt to reset. Like you kind of had to go all the way back to the start of the room to reset a puzzle. Don't do that. Like, if you want me to experiment with your game, if in Valkyria Chronicles you want me to fail, you want me to play it easy, you you want me to not play it easy, you want me to take my time and be careful, then let me save easily. And I think maybe I've I've gotten too used to quick saves and stuff like that. No, I agree. You know, there's a certain, you know, even in Kingdom Hearts 2.5, the longer load times and the longer save times, like, you know, on PS2, I'm dying 20 times on a super boss, you know, in level one is fine because I'm reloading in in like two seconds. But it's legitimately frustrating when it's like I die and I know I have at least thirty seconds before I'm back in. Yeah, I, I don't like that. Um, so codename Steam, I'm I'm gonna give that. I, I I'm yeah, still excited. I'm still I, excited. I am probably gonna pick that up because I love the gameplay style, and I myself like the sort of insane art direction it has. 
But, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people, my roommate, people at E3, you know, I, I'm pretty sure Derek thought this way too, but like, you know, it's sort of like a 15-year-old puked his sketchbook all over everything. <laughs> like, it doesn't have a cohesive design. It looks very erratic. And that's yeah. not necessarily a bad thing. And I sort of like that, but I could see how the art style of, would turn people off of that game. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Um, new Fire Emblem. We didn't really uh, hear too much about it, but there is a new Fire Emblem coming out. Um, Steven, you, you were talking to us in the pre-show a little bit. You're giving Fire Emblem another shot. Talk to us a little bit about that. All right, so I've been talking to with my roommate a lot about Fire Emblem because we're replaying a bunch of GameCube games because reasons, I guess. And, uh, you know, I've, I've often been told how good Awakening is, and, you know... I admit, I think my utter hatred of everything about that game may have stemmed from the fact that Lunatic Mode is not, it's broken. Like, I don't think you should be able to access Lunatic Mode from the outset. Because you clearly need to have, like, New Game Plus or something going on. Because it was, like, literally, I'd get into every battle and just die instantly. Like, there was nothing, like, this isn't a, oh, you, you position your units wrong. This is literally a, my super unit is getting killed. Yeah. And, like, you know, that, that's, you know, it's basically RNG. Like, oh, did I get lucky and did, you know... And at that point, it's like, whatever. So I was so angry that I was dying constantly that, you know, it was sort of like every time someone talked, I was just like, you're an insipid... Oh, I hope you all die. I hate everything about you. <laughs> See, I, I really like white nonsense. <laughs> so, I, and again, I think it was just a case of I was in such a rage mode when I ever was doing anything with that game. It wasn't really fair. So I'm, I'm playing it again now in hard mode. Uh, which is more hard and less impossible. I go ahead. I think hard mode is the sweet spot. Um, depending on what you feel about permadeath, hard mode with permadeath can really be the sweet spot. I yeah, that's how did I not play it with permadeath, but I thought hard was for me challenging enough to make me have to play strategically without making me like hate myself when I'm when everyone dies after like a half an hour in a battle so yeah like you know I, I like that they have that option like to turn off permadeath I play with permadeath um you know and and Rob's right yeah I do reset when someone dies but I also you know I, I without permadeath I'm sure I'd get to like three quarters of the way through the day, game and be like well whatever someone died I mean that's <sighs> The, the permadeath thing, we, we've talked about it before, I mentioned it on the boards a little bit. I like the idea of permadeath in that game, but there's a couple things about Fire Emblem that really, really got to me. I, I On the one hand, I love the characters, but that means that I don't want them to die. So right there, I've got this mental block in my head with the permadeath. And then everybody talks about the permadeath in this game, they're like, oh yeah, I had to restart that mission 50 times in order to not lose anybody. And this is coming from a guy who played XCOM on Iron Man. Like, if I lost somebody, they're gone. The save overwrites. I, I'm done with them. Like, I, I am now in trouble. And so I think that if you're going to play permadeath, you kind of have to embrace it a little bit. So I don't understand why people are playing this game with permadeath if they're just going to restart the mission 50 times. That's the main, yeah. that's the main problem. But then there's another thing in that game where I described it on the board's roundabout i feel like fire emblem awakening is a lot like basketball where it's got solid core fundamentals and i really really like the game i love the good-natured part of the game 
But you know how in basketball you get to the last 30 seconds, especially in college basketball, and you start fouling the other team because it's advantageous for you to commit a penalty. In Fire Emblem Awakening, there's a weird part where you can have a super unit that can kill everything on the battlefield, but because you you always counterattack when somebody attacks you, you can end up losing that super unit because they kill nine people in a row, and each mook enemy just comes up doing like two damage to a unit that has 40 health. Eventually, they're going to go down. And so I, I kind of had this weird metagame moment of just like, now, what the hell? That's like, true. But I would, I would have two points in counteract to that. A, that's sort of a Fire Emblem thing. Like, there is a lot of weird metagamey stuff in Fire Emblem. Like, you know, your stat-ups and stuff. But on the other hand, that's also a strategic thing. Like, if you know that's going to happen, don't put your super unit in front where they're going to get attacked by that many people. You know, right. again, I know that seems like sort of blaming you and not the game. But that is a tactical consideration. That even if this guy is invincible, yeah, if you know he's going to mow down 20 people, it's sort of like the hot gates in 300. You know, eventually... Xerxes is going to get through, but they're going to kill tons of units. That That's definitely a good point, and I, I certainly appreciate it. It's just, it drove me up a wall, so then that combined with the permadeath, and then the other thing I gotta say is, and people agreed with me on the boards with this, the reinforcements of enemies in that game if you're playing with permadeath, that means that you could potentially lose somebody through no fault of your own, because reinforcements come, come in during the enemy's turn. You did nothing wrong. You just died, lost a character, now you have to restart the entire mission over again. That, yeah, that's, that, I mean, that, that's trial and error. That, to me, is unacceptable. That, that to me, is trial and error that I'm like, in, in a strategy game, after I just played Tactics Ogre as much as I did, no, no thank you. Well, so I, I think it's just, you know, it's a different style, and I agree, you know, again, your logic behind both, why would you play permadeath if you're just going to reset anyway, and that, both make perfect sense to me. I think it's just that's something that people appreciate in the Fire Emblem experience. They're like, yeah, I know this is going to happen. Right. That's the style of the game, and I'm, I'm glad people like it. I think I would maybe pick up another Fire Emblem and keep Permadeath off for my own sanity. And then I didn't see any point to playing on hard, because when I pumped it up to hard, all it meant was I needed to grind more. You know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, oh, Awakening's uh... a bit different. You know, From what I've been told, Awakening's a bit different in that grinding is more of a thing. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's you know in like for example the fire emblem that sort of made me want to play them again. Uh, were, I'm watching my roommate play through Path of Radiance, which is the only fire emblem I've beaten, and I love that game. And that game, rather than having grinding, has like you know you get your bonus XP and like you know you have to make sure you level your characters carefully and you know while you're in a battle you have to you know manage all these things. It's less of the I can't win this fight, so I'm gonna go grind. I didn't actually. I mean, I grinded a little bit, but I didn't grind as nearly as much as you might think in Awakening. I I got the DLC pack that had like the the experience, the gold. Oh, uh, that thing broke the game. But I I only ran the experience ones like maybe a handful of times, and only really at the beginning. And then once I hit that sweet spot, I never touched them again. I was able to proceed through content without like hitting walls where I had to grind to get past content. Right. So, I, I don't know. For me, yeah, there's a little grinding necessary, possibly at the beginning, but that's also something that tends to happen in JRPGs a lot anyway, not just Fire Emblem. So, you had to grind in tactics in order to survive the first couple of missions in the prologue, so... There's some truth in that. I can, I can agree with that. It, it's a game that I really wanted to like a lot more than I did. And it, it kind of bummed me out a little bit. I, I really wanted to love that game. It, it, it was firing on all cylinders. I love the characters. 
and it just it mm, I think I just needed to get over the fact that it wasn't going to be hard the way I wanted it to be hard and to just kind of enjoy it. I think that's how I think that would have let me enjoy the game a hell of a lot more. As silly as that may sound. No, I, I, I can appreciate that. And like, you know, again, it's it's it, it's interesting just to sort of have that. I just lost my train of thought completely. <laughs> I, I You kind of have to. It wasn't going to give me the tactical love that I was going to love. It was going to give me really fun characters to watch interact and, and, you know, get them together so I could have their kids join my party. That's what I should have been. That's what I should have embraced about the game. Not the, you know, I'm not digging on the tactical side of this so much. I should have actually played it more like to me. It's almost not a tactical game. It's a little bit more of a JRPG with a map. I I, I don't know that I would agree with that. Uh, Awakening. Yes, I would agree. You know, what, what limited experience i have with awakening uh it doesn't really but have map I, but i also feel like rules. for awakening a lot of people they're not grinding to win battles although they might be because the game is a little more you know forgiving in terms of difficulty and having options i feel like more of it's grinding because of the, like the support conversations and stuff yeah yeah I, I did really like what i played i think i just got really fed up because i wanted it to be tougher and then when i made it harder it just turned into a grind fest it turned impossible. I think I should have... If I had just kept that game on normal, I think I probably would have finished it. It's when I pumped it up to hard, and I was like, wow, I just need to grind for hours, and I don't want to do that. That's when I got fed up with it. So, the the new Fire Emblem, you know, it looks very Japanese. I mean, it's it's not very medieval from what we've seen so far. I think that's kind of cool. I do think their art artist they are using with the series right now is fantastic. Yes. I, it's yes. such great character artwork. Um and, I, you know, I was discussing this, and, like, it's funny to me that Nintendo's like, yeah, we were going to cancel the series if Awakening didn't do well. And now it's like, well, here's another one. And then it's like, hey, remember that Metroid series that you guys, like, kind of like? Uh, maybe make another one of those. If, uh... And then, like, like, just, like, the, the thought process behind the products Nintendo develops sometimes boggles my mind. Like, we're not going to localize Xenoblade. Okay, it's in English, but we're still not going to localize it. All right, fine, we're going to localize it, but only at GameStop. Shulk is in Smash Brothers, our biggest franchise right now. I mean, it's not sales-wise, but, like, Shulk is in Smash. We're using it to sell a new system. We're making a sequel, also selling another system. I'm like, you guys need to make up your mind. Well, to be fair, there's a difference between, like, Nintendo in Japan and Nintendo of America. The Xenoblade stuff was, by and large, Nintendo of America's decision, right? Uh, or lack of decision, I guess. Well, yeah. And same thing with the U.S. not getting the regular new 3DS. That's a decision on Nintendo of America's part. I think we can all agree Nintendo of America has problems, but Nintendo <laughs> itself? Problems. I don't know. Nintendo got... No, I, I would agree. Like, I just... I You know, it's it's so strange to me that they are so reluctant to release games in their franchises because, like, you know, it, it, it's sort of like the, the Namco Bandai has figured out and, like, NIS America. Put enough budget into your game that you get money off of it, but it doesn't need to. Not every game has to sell eight million copies like Mario Kart. It's okay to make a, a Metroid that sells a million copies or five hundred thousand copies. Just don't spend a billion dollars making it. Well, that's the Square Enix argument, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like you know, say. like it just it blows my mind that like you know, and again, none of the Metroid games, as far as I know, are very or especially you know, stellar sales wise, but it's also like a critical darling. Like every, like how many people don't like Metroid or, I, you know, I don't. No, they either no. don't like it or they're apathetic towards it. You know, like 
I mentioned Super Metroid on Twitter the other day, and like three million people I've never heard of were like, perfect game, amazing! I'm like, oh my god, okay. You need to play the Swapper. <laughs> not not, be, not because it's like Metroid, but because it has that, that lonely isolation vibe that the beginning yeah. of Super Metroid has and Metroid Prime has. Well, what I, what I more mean is, and yeah, no, I agree, and I'm going to try it. It looks cool. Um, Like, you know, it's just, it's so weird to me that like, especially with their RPGs, it's like, Nintendo was going to can this franchise, and now they're like, look at this awesome new thing we're announcing in this franchise. I'm like, come on, guys. Yeah. Don't play with our hearts like that. And they have feet this time. <gasps> they do have feet this time. I really like that. I, I love the art direction in Awakening. Now you guys make me want to play Awakening again. <laughs> I did, I, no, I did really like it. I did. I think I... I think I needed to divorce myself from my love of Final Fantasy Tactics and Tactics th- Ogre. Yeah, that's, that's, my, for what that's my problem, too. That's that's why I didn't like Tactics Ogre when I played it back in the day, because I wanted a game like Final Fantasy Tactics where I, where I could just grind. No, this is way back in the day. No, you were wrong. Where I just wanted to be able to grind <laughs> my jobs up and, you know, kill everything in one hit. It wasn't I wasn't looking for a tactical game. I was looking for a game with a semblance of tactics that I could break. Yeah, Tactics Ogre, you you can break Tactics Ogre, but it, it's not as broken as Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah, and not that that's a flaw in ta- Final Fantasy Tactics. I feel like that's part of the charm of the game. But, you know, it, Fire Emblem is a very different kind of strategy than the strategy you employ in Tactics Ogre. I would agree. Yeah, I would agree, yes. Yep. All right, let's talk about the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Uh, wow, Xenoblade. Oh, that <laughs> one. Hey, yeah, let's just Ow. talk about... All right, so I mentioned this. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this out of the way quickly. Uh, so I'm watching that trailer. Pretty cool, pretty cool, pretty cool. Then the gears show up, and it looks like Xenogears in a modern setting with modern hardware. Like, yep. they use they used technical tricks that were cool in Xenogears to, like, give you that sense of scale when you're in gear dungeons or when you're exploring. You know, you know they'd, they'd make the environment smaller rather than making you bigger. And, like, that was really creative and a great way to do that, but... You know, it, it looks silly and dated now to an extent, but like looking at the gears in Xenoblade Chronicles X, I'm like, oh my god, this is what gear like a the design of them looks very Xenogears esque. I don't know who yes. the mecha designer is, but like very cool there. And then like just seeing the things like warping and like flying around and like yep. getting around the environment. The dune buggy. You have a dune buggy. That's, that's <laughs> sort of my biggest problem with Xenoblade Chronicles is that I'm like, oh my god, I gotta walk everywhere. Yeah. And like, not that it the teleports help, but you know. When I've been through this area four times, I'd love to be able to fly my gear to Colony 6. See, I'm just angry because I had told myself I'm not buying a Wii U. And then I'm watching this trailer and the mecha show up and they're oh, flying boy. all around this absolutely draw-dropping environment. And I'm like, oh, Dude, you, you you're ba- getting a Wii U. <laughs> like, you bastards. I, I, was, I was not going to do this. And now here I am. I've it's... known that since the game was first announced. I was like... <laughs> Damn well, it, you, I did you, it again. You imported Chronicles, the original, so... Yeah, I I'm have... Not, I'm not terribly surprised that you're going to buy a Wii U for Chronicles X. I have three versions of Xenoblade, and I will have four when I get the uh, 3DS version, so... <laughs> now, yeah. I, I will temper everyone a little bit. I, I still don't think the cutscenes look that good compared to the environments in the game. I don't know what is going on, but maybe it's just the, the way they're doing the effects or whatever. Maybe they're doing a very minimalist on the character design so that they can have these big open expanses. But whenever they zoom in, it feels like we're losing a lot of that kind of big picture stuff. If that makes sense. That's actually something I've observed in Chronicles is that like, so I just did an area in the game for people to play it. I did the, the tower in Alchemoth, like for the, when what's her name is taking like the, the test or whatever. Malia. 
Yeah, and uh, the tomb. Yeah, the tomb, and it is an ugly dungeon. Like it's literally just a bunch of white textures on With walls. Awesome music. Awesome music, yes. And like as a in terms of design, it's an interestingly designed dungeon, but it is flat out uninteresting. And the city itself, you know, is there are parts of the design of the city uh, of Alchemoth that are interesting. It's like this, you know, giant dome floating city. But like on a on a micro level, it's an ugly looking city. Like the texturing is bland. You know, the geometry is very simple. And part of that's the technology. But like you go outside to the Aerith Sea and it's one of the prettiest environments in the game, both technically and artistically. But then you go indoors and it's like everything, like you, you, you scale everything in. And I'm like, now this is just a giant empty hallway full of flat textures. I would agree and, with that. And, and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they really are looking at it at a more macro level. I think it's a little too soon for me to critique yeah. the cutscenes in Chronicles X. Um, well, they haven't really shown us a whole lot of, there was the stuff at E3 and then we had a little bit uh, with this most recent, you know, direct, very, yeah. very little. It's kind of hard to make judgments when it's like, what, com- a combination of maybe less than five minutes of cutscene footage. Yeah, and, you know, that's very true. And that's why I think, I, I wish they would maybe show a little more, not enough to spoil anything, but like. What I'm concerned with is that I think the gameplay looks great, but I'm not worried about their ability to do gameplay because this game has great gameplay. Uh, what I'm worried about, this game being Xenoblade Chronicles, the first one, what I'm worried about is the personality of the game because they're going for a very Xenosaga-esque, it's more hard sci-fi now in terms of the character designs, which I do like. And, like, there's still no pawns, but then, like, the main character is the genericest generic. Like, you create your character, but I hope he's not just of, you know... Uh, a prism for you to be in the world and not and has no personality because that's disappointing because Shulk is such a personality that he's in Smash Brothers now, and like you know there's a lot of humor in Xenoblade like they're always joking around with Ryan and stuff and like there's a lot of personality and based on what they've shown and again it's very limited so it's maybe not fair to make this and I wish they would just show more I'm worried this game is going back to the melodrama yeah that- not, not not that this game won't have any because I'm sure Xenoblade Chronicles eventually will. But I also oh, yeah. like these. I yeah. like these characters, so I care about the melodrama. You haven't gotten to the point where the melodrama really comes uh, in. I think I got to some of it. You're you're getting there, but it, it kind of they turn it up a notch after. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. But I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Rob. But yeah, I'm I'm more concerned personality-wise that you got this gorgeous world with good character designs, but I don't want it to be like, you know, unless you're going to tell the story of Xenogears again, that's fine. I don't mind the melodrama, but. Uh, you know, I would not mind that at all. See, in but some I, ways, in some ways, Xenoblade was very much a an anime. Like it felt like I was watching a twenty six episode anime with some spiller, and I, I really liked that. But I, I get what you're saying, and I, I'm also a little like, what's going on with the story here? Is the is the Monado even in the game? I would. I don't want anything that might even remotely hint at spoiler. No, 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 no spoil. I'm not going to spoil anything for you. But I'm intrigued by the game. I'm more blown away by the spectacle and size of this game than yeah. anything else. And it's coming out in April, apparently, in Japan. And they still haven't said a whole lot about it. Like, they've kind of just let the, the trailer speak for it. There is an online component, but we don't really know. I, I'm, I, I'm I, super I, excited for this game, though. Yeah, and I, I sort of appreciate their discretion. Because, I, you know, I hate that we get a game now and it's like you've seen everything in it before it's even out. You know, especially with an experience like this. Like... Part of the 
fun of this experience I'm having playing Xenoblade Chronicles is that each new area is so pretty and has sort of an ecosystem set up in it. And oh my god, Stella X, stop hitting me. Um, like, sorry, a unicorn is hitting me in the face and won't stop. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm it's glad that they're not showing problem. all of it, but I just, I would like to know that, you know, what tone of a story am I getting in this game, you know? That, like, don't tell me the story, just give me the tone. Like, it's very hard to get the tone of the game, because right now Xenoblade Chronicles X is looks more Xenosaga Xenogears than Xenoblade. Yeah. Other than in terms of the gameplay. Let's see what they do. And that's not a bad thing, I just, I want to know. Yeah, Let, let's yeah. see what they do. I'm, I'm super excited for it. it it's probably going to be the reason I buy a Wii U, damn you, Nintendo. That and the inevitable Metroid I feel you. supposedely might be announced soon. I uh, I just want a 3DS Metroid, honestly. I, I want a 3DS 2D Metroid after playing the Swapper. That's all I would love. I would love both a 2D Metroid on 3DS and a 3D one on Wii U. I uh, we actually, I, I know that's optimistic, but it's happened before, okay? So so when we were recording Music of the Year stuff, I'm I'm going to pour. I'm going to reopen a wound. <laughs> we got into a pretty talking about games that we're excited about. We got into a pretty heated argument about the new Zelda, and it 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 got a little nasty. And you know some some things were said and, and got a little and, nasty, even though everybody agreed with each other. I was kind of the outlier, and I, I was poking the bear a little bit. I am excited for the new Zelda. I really am, and I I think a link between worlds was a step in the right direction. But I have always been of the opinion that the Zelda open world portions, like the big fields and everything, have been about as interesting as a potato. But like the- again, we talked about this in Music of the Year. I am not going to make the argument of, but we haven't seen anything enough yet to make that judgment. I'm not making that argument. I'm making no Zelda has had open world. There, It's not open. Like Hyrule Field is not an open world area. That is a very contained area. It's, it's a hub that leads to a few places. When I hear open world, when they talk about the new Zelda, I am thinking open world Xenoblade style open world. You know, probably more scaled down because it's, you know, Zelda. But I'm expecting bigger world, but not open worlds. And that, no, they, ha- they haven't appreci- showcased that. I can appreciate your thoughts there. I just, I really hope that they have learned from A Link Between Worlds where they, they decided to actually make the Zelda economy worth a damn. I think that was a really good step in the right direction. I really want this game to be incredible, but I am not ready to... Maybe this is coming with age and, and wisdom, I don't know, but I'm... Cynicism! Uh, no, it's not cynicism. It really <laughs> is. I, I loved A Link Between Worlds. I absolutely adored that game. I believe I said that was my game of the year last, uh, two years ago. I oh love that game. That long ago. I really want them to make a really good Zelda game, but you, you guys know where I stand on Skyward Sword. That... I, got I think, honest to God, though, man, like, and this is why I, I think we got heated is because you're looking at Skyward Sword as the most recent example, and that's fair because that's the last console Zelda other than Wind Waker HD, but, like, that's not the perspective that they're in now. That's true. That's like, and that's They, are, they are in the perspective yeah. of we know what was flawed about that game, and, you know, Link Between Worlds is them sort of taking a step towards showing we recognize what we've gotten away from that people like. I can, and I think... The men, that's why I'm perhaps a little less gun-shy than you are here, because I think they already know what they need to be doing in order to make this an interesting experience. Whereas, you know, if you look at it, if you if you skip, you know, the mentality they're in, yeah, I could see being concerned, because the last console one was sort of, eh. Okay, 
Okay. Um, I, I remember you being uh, – I want to get Caitlin in in one second, but I, I, I got to challenge Steven here a little bit. I remember you being pretty up on Skyward Sword. Were you just being a devil's advocate D-bag to me? No, no, no. no. I, I beat Skyward Sword, but I have been – I feel like I've been pretty consistent in saying since then that I think it's ironic that I beat it because it's my least favorite 3D Zelda other than Ocarina of Time, and I know I just made everybody angry. But, like, you know, Skyward Sword is pretty – and I thought there were some awesome dungeon designs, but my problem with that game basically turned into the whole, like, hey, here's the sky. You can go down three holes. Uh, and, you know, this it was it was a little clunky, but, like, in terms of the moment-to-moment, like, dungeon design, I liked it a lot. But, no, like, I, I don't hate Skyward Sword, but I also recognize that it's sort of in, uh, indicative of all the things that I don't like about 3D Zelda. Okay. Caitlin, opinion. Um... So this might get me kicked off the podcast, but um, I don't tend to get excited about New Zelda games. I mean, I've, I've, I've enjoyed what I've played of the series, but it's never, I've never become that super awesome Mega Zelda fan because of it. Um, and maybe it's partly because I can't ever get around to beating games when I start them. Anyway, uh, I was excited by what I saw of the New Zelda. I kind of want to play that, and that is almost never my reaction to a New Zelda game. So... In that sense, I give them props, and I'm looking for more information. Yeah, and I can appreciate that too, Caitlin, because again, I'm not like gung-ho Zelda fan. I love the 2D Zeldas, but I've never been, you know, like... You're more gung-ho than I am by a, by a lot. Well, like the 3D ones, like I've never been especially like, oh my god, a new 3D Zelda, holy crap! You know, it's always been like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about this, with the exception of Wind Waker, which I absolutely adore, but... You know, it's probably because I didn't get it on the ground floor Ocarina of Time level. You know, I don't have any fond memories of it. And I've, you know, I've always found the worlds more engaging in the 2D Zeldas. Um, and that's not necessarily a flaw on the part of the 3D ones. It's just how my tastes are. So, you know, I'll admit, I'm not, I'm not really excited for the new Zelda. But if it looks good, I'll, I'm sure I'll play it. And I hope it's good enough that I want to beat it. Okay. If it's like a 3D Link Between Worlds, then odds are very good that I will be in love with it. Yeah. Even though I... Still haven't beaten Link Between Worlds. I'm in the last dungeon. I, I, I want to see what they do. And Caitlin, no, nobody hates you. You're just never coming to the podcast ever again. Uh, no! no! no. I, I want it to be good. It's just I, I think the excitement level is a little... Let's see what they do. I, I like the fact that they're pushing and they want to try something new. And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's cool. Yeah. I still think Link's a chick. Pretty cool. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm doing the whole conspiracy theory thing because I love screwing with people. I think there's a reason why they didn't show it uh, up close, and I think it's because Link is, in fact, a girl. But then what's Zelda going to be? A guy? I, I, I don't care. Why uh, does, wait, why does Zelda have to be the opposite gender? Why can't Zelda... Because there's always be that opposite? weird sort of implicit, like, you know, romantic tension. I mean, I guess there's not especially, not in all of them, but... So it's 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 not that, you know, you have to change Zelda's gender. I don't think that's the case. But, like, you know, if they're going to mix it up with one, I'd be interested to see if they're going to mix it up with others. Because there's sort of that indirect, implied, romantic thing they have going on. Not in every Zelda game, but sometimes there is that. Um, and, you know, they could easily go. I, I Forgive me for being skeptical, but I don't know that Nintendo is going to go for an implied lesbian subtext with Zelda and Link. I just, <laughs> Nintendo is not that progressive. Uh, why, you know, would it, why would there have to be a there doesn't have to be. I'm not saying there does, but there often is a, in Zelda games, you know, this subtext of, yeah, there's like, you know, Zelda and Link. But that's not in all of them, so, I could, you know, maybe they won't do that. But I, I would be interested if they change Link up to see what else they change up. Like, is Ga- could, you know, is Ganondorf suddenly going to become Mrs. Ganondorf? 
Which, admittedly, that would be pretty cool, but, you know, Is like... Is she gonna, I, like, cook, bake cookies and... Now, that's gender stereotyping, Caitlin, and we won't stand for that. She's going to bake Triforce murder cakes. No, <laughs> but, like, you know, that could be really cool, because, like, imagine then you have Lady Ganondorf as an alt costume in Smash Brothers, so then you have, instead of Warlock Punch, it's the Witch Punch, and, like, you know, it's, like... You know, because Nintendo, again, is not the most progressive in the world, they have to, they'll have to make Lady Ganondorf, you know, like Zero Suit Samus wearing, like, a bikini. Uh, and, you know... Don't do not do that again to my Samus. Please don't. Please <laughs> That don't. said, you know, I would be... I'll, I'll be interested if, if Link is, in fact, a girl, which I'm not really convinced they're doing. Uh, I, I could maybe see them doing a selectable gender, like Pokemon. Uh, Pokemon. Pocketmans. Um... You know, I could see them doing that. I would just be interested to see what else changes, because I don't see them just being like, yes, we have now given you a purely cosmetic that changes nothing else choice. Because oh, that's not... Waiter. That's... waiter, I do believe you got some Bioware in my Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I, I'll, I, I just, I don't see Nintendo half-assing it, is what I mean. I, I don't say that in a negative way. I just, I don't see them being like, yeah, Link's a girl, and we've changed nothing else. That's fair. That's fair. I am... I still think Link's a chick. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep doing that because I still believe I was the first person to say that when I watched the trailer. And I was like, that uh, Link looks a little effeminate, and everybody started what? losing their minds. And I love the fact that people lost their minds. I Link think that's has a, great. Link has always had sort of like an you know an elfin appearance. Plus, it's it's Japan. If I may use that stereotype, it's not unusual for male characters to be effeminate. Uh-oh, silence. No, 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 I'm, I'm just being quiet now. Okay, what do we talk about next? Well, what's another game that we're excited about? Final Fantasy Type-0. That'll be out very soon. Yes, that is yes. coming out very, very soon. They're redoing the music in it, too, which, you know, I have to mention that. That's exciting. Not very big had, budget for it, but it's still exciting. I had, like, a heart attack when that news story came out because they, were, they, didn't, they didn't list the name of the song that was going to be re-recorded, so I thought they meant zero, and I was like, no, no, you can't. But no, it's not. For, for Rob, that's the theme song, uh, sung by a Japanese band called Bump of Chicken. Which is um, awesome and does not need to be changed in any way. No. Um, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited for that game because, again, I've, I've already played it, but, it's, it, you know, they're really doing a full-blown, like, visual workover. This is not a PSP port, you know, like... Birth by Sleep is not the most attractive game in the world on PS2. It's It looks better, it runs better than it did on PSP, but it's still relatively humble looking. That is not what they're doing with Type-0. Type-0 has like this gorgeous new lighting engine and, you know, they're they're modifying the way the camera works because now it's on, you know, a controller and doesn't have shoulder button camera control. Uh, you know, and that's a really fun game. Uh, it's, it's It has a lot of the things I think people have been missing from Final Fantasy recently. Um... Some of the characters are very interesting. Uh, some of them are sort of background filler because there's 14 playable characters. Um, but the story's more of like a political thing than a we're focused in on one group of characters um, to some extent. But, you know, I think a lot of people are going to like that game a lot. And I might be Metal Gear Soliding it just to get the Final Fantasy XV demo, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, I don't blame you for that. That I'm sure takes there me are... back. A lot of people, well, although, at least a fair amount of people who will be Although now we aren't, we aren't getting the car in the 15 demo. They, they just came out and said we are not going to get to control the car. I, yes, thought, I, that was a, that. I thought that was an interesting argument that they made for it, too. They were like, we don't want people to have all this new stuff and not feel like it's Final Fantasy. We don't want to overwhelm them. And I'm like, 
on the one hand, that's sort of not trusting your audience, but on the other hand, that is absolutely a good call because other people are going to get it and be like, it's Grand Theft Final Fantasy, it sucks. Um, I'd actually rather them focus on that because, I mean, how many of us are excited about driving the car around? I am. I kind of am. All right. Now Let I me rephrase that. Weird. Among the other things in the gameplay, how many people are most excited about driving the car? What that do we care I about? think is fair. What do we care most about? We care about the combat and the progression system, and that's what they're highlighting here. I think that's fair. That's fair. I, I'm excited for it. Um, let, let's see where they go. You know, it, it'll be an interesting demo that kind of brings me back to uh, what you call it, um, Final Fantasy VII, which will be kind of exciting. So, you know, let's see. I, I think this is. I think there's a lot Square has sort of riding on this demo. Like, I'm, I am very, very certain people are going to play it and hate it, because every time a Final Fantasy comes out, everyone's like, worst thing ever, has it been good since Final Fantasy whatever I played first? <laughs> There's a lot of truth in what you just said, though. They're, they're oh, yeah, really... like, I, I am not expecting this demo to come out and people be like, I'm so excited for 15. I think there will be people who are excited, and then there'll be the giant, loud outcry on the internet, terrible game, it's Final Fantasy, blah, blah, blah. I hate everything since 7. Yeah. But that's because everybody's secretly a Final Fantasy fan who denies it. Everyone, you're all in denial. I am calling all of you out. I think you're all in denial. I mean, I love Final Fantasy. Wow. I, I want not, it to not be Not you good. guys. Oh, yeah, you, no. I, not that, you guys. You guys are okay. No, that's the thing. Everybody wants it to be good. Every, every single person who's like, I gave up on the series. No, you didn't. You hope 15's good so you can play it just like everybody else. And you're full of crap if you say otherwise. I think that's very fair. I think people want a good Final Fantasy again, and it it's also okay if they don't like what they do with Final Fantasy. Like they they do so many new things that you're oh, not yeah. necessarily going to like everything that they decide to do. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's unfair of you not to like Final Fantasy. I think people are full of crap when they say they don't care. You know, obviously there are people who don't care about Final Fantasy, but if you're like, oh, the series has been going downhill, and I don't expect it to be good, and da da da, but you want it to be. You know, you might not like it. That's that. I'm not saying that's not going to happen, but you know, right? I think I think there's a lot of like, I've been burned before, and I won't let you hurt me again. <laughs> oh my god! That's that got dark in a hurry. Is this is this an RPG or a relationship? Uh, a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, apparently. It's, it's Final Fantasy. I think it's a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some truth in that. I'd I'd say. I'm, of course, excited to see and play the combat, but I'm also just really excited to explore this world that they've been really talking up about how large just even this section that we're going to get to play in the demo is and get to see how the day-night cycle and weather effects, assuming that those are all in there, uh, affect things. That's kind of... That's my little um, sweet spot when it comes to like more open world style games. Is is that? So that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm interested in that. I won't, I don't think I'm quite as excited about it as you, only because so many games have open worlds now that you know if I've seen one fantasy open world, I've sort of seen them all at this point, with the exception of Xenoblade. And again, I, I expect I, I'm not saying that that is the case in this game. I think for me personally, I'm just more excited to see the character dynamic and the combat. Because even if the world's incredibly pretty, if there's nothing interesting to do in it, I'm not going to finish the game. Oh no. Steven, not finish a Final Fantasy? Hey, it's happened. Wait, has it happened before? Uh, eh. Alright, what else is everybody excited about? Rob, you haven't mentioned Bloodborne yet. What's wrong with you? Blood. 
<laughs> Bloodborne. Bloodborne, 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 Bloodborne. Blood- okay, let's move on then. <laughs> I'm actually, you know what, you know what I'm most excited about for Bloodborne? It's not even the core game. It's that roguelike tower multiplayer thing. Uh, you know, that's actually the part I'm not excited about, actually, because um, I, I, I think that sometimes when they've kind of branched out a little bit, they, they've had some problems here and there. So I kind of, I want to see it. Obviously, I want them to try something new, but. They they gotta be a little careful with this, you know what I mean? Uh, no, I agree. You know, and again, there is that. You know, I'm more excited. I would say, for uh, ironically, uh, even though I just said I wasn't in Final Fantasy 15, I'm sort of more interested in the world they have built because that was. And I know that seems unfair, but I don't think Dark Souls is really an open world of comparison to like Final Fantasy 15, Dragon Age, that sort of thing. Um, for me, it's more like. Comparing it to Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2, Demon Souls, I feel like the biggest flaw of Demon Souls, Dark Souls 2, not other than like, you know, it's artistic sort of lack of creativity in the monsters was that the world was nowhere near as interesting as Dark Souls 1. And even Demon Souls pulled off the compartmentalized areas better than Dark Souls 2 uh, because they were more interesting. Like Dark Souls 2, I'm like, oh, look, uh, another area that is going to have a guy with a sword at the end of it. And, you know, I'm going to go back to the hub and go to another zone and that's maybe more convenient from a gameplay perspective but it really took away from the fun in dark souls one of like when you first come back into the undead berg from the the depths and you unlock that shortcut you're like oh my gosh i can get back here anytime i want it makes it sort of expands the borders of your world i would agree i would agree and so you know i i have very high hopes for that game probably unrealistic hopes at this point so I, I really, really want it to be good, but they, they do have to kind of win me over here a little bit. Um, it is a new new game, a lot of new things that can go right, a lot of new things that can go wrong. So at this point, I just want it. It's like two months away. I, I just want it so I can start playing it. And I, I it is the game I'm most excited for this year, but then again, Dark Souls 2 is the game I was most excited for, and that ended up you know disappointing me a little bit. So... And, and I don't think I have reason to feel that way this time because, you know, the main crew is behind the game again. But it, it does temper your expectations a little bit. And you'd, yeah. be, a, and you'd be a fool for saying that, no, I'm, I'm not taking that into account at all. And this yeah. will also be my, what, fourth game that's in this type? There have been a lot lately, huh? Yes, there have been. Both a good thing and a bad thing in a lot of ways. It's true. What else are we excited for? Uh, so Kyle will get mad if we don't say Witcher 3. Uh, yes. I'll, ad- I'll admit I'm not waiting with bated breath and type type of anticipating it, but I'm sure I'll get it and play it and enjoy it. Uh, yeah. I think it looks great. But again, we run the risk of oversaturation with all these open-world RPGs. I think that game is going to be a little more scaled back, like Dragon Age Inquisition style, where there is stuff of interest in the world. Um, and, you know, you know, they can write well. Uh, they're a little sort of... Uh, dude bro centric in their writing in Witcher, you know, but uh, again, but we'll see how that changes or if it changes, because one of the most recent pieces of news was that there is another playable character who is female. Yeah. Well, they, the only reason I'm, I'm sort of discounting that is that they said in the news that she's not going to be the focus of the story at all, that it's still very mm-hmm. much a Geralt story. But I mean, the fact that she's there is still a step in the right direction, I would think. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I think their their dutification. I know what you mean. They've gotten better. You know, we we went from the playing cards in Witcher One to just nudity in Witcher Two. I think they've kind of toned it back a little bit. I think it was a little bit like, ooh, boobs, with the first Witcher game, and that 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 didn't sit well with me. So, yeah, I, I'm excited for Witcher 3, but, you know, I, I want to play it. My thoughts on Witcher 1 and 2, I think the combat's actually the weakest part in both of those games. I think the best part is the story and the character interactions. So, yeah, I, I have somewhat tempered expectations, but I love the fact that they're shooting for the stars. I oh, absolutely yeah, absolutely. love that. And, you know, the story in Witcher 2 is, is, you know, what I've finished of it is very good. And, uh, you know, it's just for me now, again, if I was 15, all these open worlds would just have me so excited. I'm no longer just excited to get in and explore your giant empty world that's pretty. Yeah, that, that's like that is no longer a selling point for me at all. Dragon Age Inquisition I liked because it was full of interesting things to do in that big world. You know, but then... Uh, there are lots of games. It's like, oh, we have a giant world. And I'm like, cool. And I won't remember any of it because everything I'm doing in it is meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> Assassin's Creed. <laughs> hey, Assassin's Creed 2. I like that game. That game was probably the best. Yes. 2 was a good game. That I have also heard to be the case. You know, like, I, again, I didn't give it a fair shake. I got bored and didn't play it. But, you know. I recently went through my games and movies and, and sold off a bunch of stuff just because I didn't want to have to lug all of it to my new apartment. And I kept Assassin's Creed 2, sold all of the other ones that I had, so. <laughs> I'm actually starting my little uh, video game vault downstairs in our storage room in the house. And so I put, like, all my PlayStation 3 games down there because I'm not going to play them. You know, so they're they're there and I can access them, but my PS2 games are down there. My PS3 games are down there. I just want to keep upstairs, like, when I get a PlayStation 4, the PlayStation 4 games that I'm going to play. Like, those are going to stay up there. Yeah. Uh, okay. What else is coming it, out? Oh, it, has, it hasn't been announced, but God, can we please just see Fallout 4? Please, Bethesda? <laughs> please, can I just can I just look? It's becoming like The Last Guardian, isn't I it? I won't touch it, I swear. I, I just want to look at it. I, uh, I hmm. Wait, what game? Fallout 4? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I had a conversation, uh, we recorded yesterday, um, with uh, Darren Korb of Supergiant Games, the composer. And, uh, you know, he talks about that, how much he loves the classic Fallout games. And what sort of came up is that I agree with him that I don't really... Like, I liked Fallout 3 a lot. I had fun with it. But I'm not that fond when I think back on it. You know, like, I had, I, I don't know that I'm super anticipating 4. Again, just and because, I, like... I love 3. I, I think you're nuts. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I had a great time playing 3. I don't want to discount that it's a, a great game. But do I remember it as fondly as Fallout 1 and 2? Not even close. You know, it's a open world game that had fun combat and, you know, an interesting world to explore. Again, because it was full of interesting stuff. It was smaller than a Skyrim or, you know, an Oblivion. But it was packed per square inch with more things that are interesting. But my sort of, my beef is that, you know, I just feel like they're open world RPGs with, you know, a post-apocalyptic setting versus the sheer character and personality that Fallout 1 and 2 had. You know, like, Fallout 3 had a, a pretty decent approximation of it. But, you know, that sort of weird, fine line of, like, quaint, silly technology and, like, you know, Silver Age visions of the future with this, like, really weird, dry sense of humor. I You know, it's, it's, it's the difference between Bethesda writing and Bioware writing to me. But I think that Bethesda's writing in Fallout 3 was the best they've ever done. Absolutely. And I, I do agree with that. And that yeah. was their first time in that world. 
And, you know, again, I haven't really played enough of New Vegas to comment on that. So, you know, it's entirely possible that Obsidian got back to that sort of, like, very dry sort of goofball humor that was in the Fallout 1 and 2. But I think that's the only reason I'm not as excited for Fallout 4. I mean, I'm sure it could come out and it'll look amazing. I mean, I hope it's good. But Bethesda's trend recently does not make me very excited because, you know, Skyrim is a very sort of homogenized, what color light do you want to shoot people to kill them with? And you can do it all, so don't worry, type of experience. But to be And I, I don't want Fallout to go that same route, basically, is the gist. I don't want Fallout to be made more accessible as a power fantasy. I want Fallout to be a game that's focused on writing and sort of this karmic backlash type of system. But to be fair, I think Skyrim was much better than Oblivion in creating its own sense of world. I think Bethesda's getting better. And I agree with you. I, I didn't really like New Vegas that much. I think that game had giant gameplay problems, and I think it kind of lost some of the spirit of the exploration because of how it, it is very linear at the start of that game where you're just going to get your ass handed to you, and I, I think the damage threshold is the worst thing to happen to that series ever. But, <laughs> uh, well, it, it's not fun to shoot something with a shotgun that does 30 damage and get nothing, and then if you shoot it with a shotgun that does 31 damage, suddenly the enemy starts dying. That's not fun. Like that, that is, that's just a number barrier that you have to overcome. Like imagine that in Dragon Age, like, oh, you cannot do damage to this guy unless you're level four. I mean, to an extent though, that is, that is RPG that's going on. But they do that. But I like it when a game gives me the opportunity to push through that. Like, okay, this is going to be really hard, but you can beat it. And no, I mean, I agree. Difficulty balancing is incredibly difficult, especially in an RPG. Yeah. New Vegas was like, no, you can't beat it. Yeah, you know, and I I don't mean to say that Skyrim is this, like, experience bereft of anything redeeming. I don't don't think that. Like, it is, you're right. I think it's, as in terms of visual distinction, it does cut a more interesting character than Oblivion. But, you know, with each successive Elder Scrolls game, they're getting more and more, like, into the, this is just a power fantasy of you go around, do whatever you want all the time, which is fun, but it's a little less memorable gameplay-wise for me each time. I can dig that. And I, I just, I don't want Fallout to go that route to be more marketable. Because, you know, Bethesda definitely saw critical mainstream success, and that's why their games have sort of done that. Because it's more appealing. And that's fine, but it's just not for me. Yeah. I, I want Fallout 4. I'll, I'll say it. I really want that game. I want it too. I'll say it. I mean, I will probably get it when they announce it. I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to stand here and say that I wouldn't pick it up. That's that's the case. Is I just I hope that it doesn't go along the same trend as the Elder Scrolls. Because I would say as they've gone along, I've liked them less and less. That's something I could appreciate. Caitlin, what's another game you're excited for? Uh, well, uh, since I'm a huge Tales fan, I'm excited, or at least at the very least, I am interested to see uh, how Tales of Zestiria turns out. Oh yeah, because this is the this is the I think it's the first Tales game where you you just you do combat on the field. You don't you know, transition to another uh, screen that's just for combat. And that you know it's not the same thing as going open world, perhaps like with Zelda or you know uh, other games. But it's it's a step I think. Um, with that Namco is taking to sort of keep the core the same, but tweak things and try new things and see how they work. And I'm excited to see how it will affect uh, gameplay and tactics in gameplay. 
Yeah, and you know, I, I'm I'm actually excited for that too. I sort of got Ben slightly into it, uh, my roommate into it a little bit, because um, we were talking about playing a co-op, and like, you know, there are parts of it that still look talesy to me, um, but I'm I'm excited that they seem to be trying to change it up. I'm interested to see how multiplayer is going to work with that new camera perspective in battles, though, um, and uh, you know, I, I would say I'm definitely looking forward to it. I feel like I had a point I wanted to make. Gosh. Oh, yeah. So, you know, somebody corrected us that there have been Tales releases pretty yearly, but I I am trying to think, and Caitlin, I'm sure you can correct me on this, in terms of Japanese releases, this is the first time they've taken more than a year to make a Tales game. Like, did a Tales game come out in Japan last year? Uh, I don't think so. I think I think Exilia 2 came out the year before. Yeah, I we, think so we got well. it last year. Yeah, but... I I think that's that to me is a good sign because that this is the first time in a while that I feel like they've taken longer than just a year to put out the next Tales game, and that's that's a good sign. You know, that's that could be why you're seeing so much change here. And I feel like I'd rather have fewer Tales games, but better Tales games. Oh, I'm actually I'm wrong. Uh, it actually came out in 2012 in Japan. So it's been two years since the yeah. last Tales game in Japan, the yeah. last console mainstream Tales game. So that, that really does bode well for this, because, you know, they're breaking out all their artists. They have uh, uh, Inomata and uh, Fujishima on this one. Um, you know, well, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Keep in mind that it's it's more frequent from our perspective, because we just got Exilia 2 last year. Well, it's more frequent from our perspective, but what I'm saying is from a developmental standpoint, they have taken longer to make this game than they have a Tales game in a long time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm also, I'm pleased that they're at least trying to, it, it got announced for worldwide release from the get-go. We're not quite sure, I think, I don't think we have a U.S. release date, so it might still take a while before we get it. But the fact that we didn't have to sit here waiting for like a year after the game was released in Japan to find out if we're going to get it in English yeah. is, a, is a nice plus, and I'm, I'm happy. I'm hoping that that's going to be the trend now for the future. Yeah, what I hope is the trend is that we get them more quickly, more consistently, which we sort of have been, and more importantly, that when they're developing, they're not developing one a year. Because as much as I would love to have more Tales games, I sort of don't want more Tales games. I want fewer good Tales games. You, you, what you're saying is you don't want Tales of Assassin's Creed. Exactly. <laughs> and that, that's been my issue with each subsequent one, is that my interest has gone down astronomically since Vesperian Abyss. You don't want Assassin's Creed? I thought you loved Assassin's Creed. I appreciate that there is a large audience that likes Assassin's Creed. Oh, man, I can't wait to get some liquor into you at Mas MAGFest. This is going to be fun. I don't hate every game. I'm No, 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 not... no, but you, but you have things that you, you get... It, my, my love of you, Steven, is that you are, like, completely even keel, always willing to look for the, the good side of everything, but then there are just certain things that you're like, no, that is false, and I hate it. <laughs> it's really funny. Like they, there are just certain things where you're like, no, absolutely not. Hey, gotta, like, I, gotta, I gotta draw the line somewhere, right? Like if I say that Oblivion is uh, very individualistic and ha and is doing a lot of things that no game has ever done before. I, I mean, other than Elder Scrolls games, it was you know. I heard his lip curl. Was... No, I I don't think that's untrue. Like, it's not the most unique game in the world, but it's also that's a different age in gaming. Lots of games do what that does now, but. They did it first, and when they were when they started doing those games, it was unique. But like, I like Oblivion. That's fair. 
That's fair. I, I just like screwing with you, dude. I just think it's funny. I couldn't beat Oblivion. I got bored. Oh, I didn't beat it. Like, I, I have never beaten any of them except for Morrowind. I had to force myself to beat Skywind, uh, Skyrim, too, because Sky- I... Skywind! <laughs> Skywind Skywinder. No. Um, no, I had to force myself to do the main quest in Skyrim, because if I kept doing anything, I would never beat it. That's my thing, is, like, I never beat them, except Morrowind, again, because I thought Morrowind had a really interesting main story, but, like... With Oblivion, I didn't care about the main story at all, and that's okay, but I don't feel like those games, A, focus on their main story, or B, have very good main stories. Like, the main quest line in that game is basically just another guild quest line. You know, you have to do it in Skyrim so you can unlock, you know, like, dragon shouts and stuff, but at a certain point, I don't know that anyone really cares, would consider beating the game, beating the story. It's more of a... Did I become godlike in my power? You know, did I make a suit of chameleon armor so no enemies don't even hit me when I punch them in the face? I mean, there that, was a main that's... story in Oblivion. Oh, who knew? Stop, you guys. They're not. I'm, I don't mean to say they're objectively bad games. Not, not even slightly. I just the type of content, 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 homogenized power fantasy. Everything's good. You can be good at everything. It just doesn't do it for me anymore. I want something a little more defined. Everything is not, in fact, awesome, according to Steven. <laughs> well, oh, no, every, everything, I, I like it when everything is awesome. The fact that is that, that was the only nomination that Lego Movie got, right? I don't like, think it got any, did it? Or no, did it? Everything is Awesome, I think, got nominated as, like, Best Original Song or whatever. And, but, uh, but I think okay. that was it. I'm not sure. <laughs> Which is, I mean, that song is, is awesome. It's awesome. I went there. You might say but, perhaps everything is awesome about that song. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I think we're getting tired, guys. So You know uh, what? It's like it's like Charlie Brown once said. I have strong opinions, but they don't last long. Um, well, if I can jump in with one more game, because I think Derek would kill me if I didn't mention this. Um, or maybe he'd just kill you guys. Anyway, um, the next Ease game. East, East, however you want to pronounce it anyway. Um, We're calling, I guess, East 8 because uh, it's following East 7. Looks looks really, I mean, for a PS4 game, from what we saw, I'm hoping it'll maybe step up a little bit more, but I'm just really excited because it's another East game. I just recently kind of got into the series with E7 and most recently Memories of Salsetta. So I'm super stoked for more misadventures of Adeline Dohi and awesome rock Doji. music. I, you know, I, I, I would also say too, I don't know that that series has ever been known for pushing the envelope graphically. So, you know, as long as it's fun, I would say that's probably good enough. Yeah, I'd say take it with a grain of salt. You know, it's people it's looking prettier at... than the other recent Ease games have been. Yeah, yeah. So it's an improvement by that metric. Yes. I'm, I'm I had to get that in there because I'm excited for it, and, and I'm pretty sure Derek is too. I think we might actually I – don't, I don't know that it's – is it coming out in Japan next year? Is that confirmed or is it not sure yet? Uh, it, I don't know. I'm actually going off of our most anticipated list here, so maybe. Ah, that makes sense. Well, guys, I think there's a lot to look forward to. In uh, I agree. 2015, it's going to be a good year. Uh, Mass Effect for anybody? Oh, we ain't getting that next year. We might get oh, an announcement. Of we're it. not. We're not getting it, but we're going to see it. 
Yeah. I, if so we're lucky, what? we'll get a trailer. Yes. Oh, I think you're going to get a huge E3 press conference thing. Uh, I, I think you're going to see that game running at a press conference. I'm excited to see. They've promised that they're going to show actual gameplay from Kingdom Hearts 3 next year, so... I'm excited for that. I think. King- oh, Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> that, so I got a, a a little bit of a, a rumor going on, but uh, the eight four play guys who are pretty close to the Square Enix guys, they were kind of saying that Kingdom Hearts three is way further off than people think. They were well, like, if people think it's more than less than two years off, I think they're already off base. That game is like they are like literally in pre production mostly for that game. Well, I know you you have overcome battered wife syndrome and you actually know that that game is not coming for a very long time. So you you're okay with that. I think what we're going to get is we're going to get maybe I think 15 will come out at the end of next year in Japan. We'll get it sometime in 2016. I think in 2016 we'll get Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance HD and I think in 2017 we'll get Kingdom Hearts 3. Yeah, probably. I think it'll be faster for them to make Kingdom Hearts three than it has been uh, the full production of Final Fantasy fifteen. I'm not. I'm not being uh, a jerk and saying, "Oh, the entire time it took to make Final Fantasy fifteen. I'm not doing that. The, the overall turnaround time will be less. Yes, I think that. But they, you know, they did the same thing they did with KH two. They announced it way too early. But in this case, the circumstances were different. They announced KH two way too early, not because people were heavily anticipating it, but because they were like, "Check us out." And then, you know, it was so far off. This one, they were like, yeah, we are actually making it, so. Please look forward to it. Oh, and I am. All right, guys. Uh, I don't think we really need to do a news section, because we kind of went over all the Nintendo Direct news, and I, I think we're in pretty good shape, so. I think one last thing I'm sort of looking forward to, they did this recent uh, sort of post, posthumous, whatever you call it, the game is out for Divinity Original Sin. The developers did this big blog post where they were like, you know, we're so excited that the game got such a good reception. But here's everything we did wrong. And it's this giant blog post the developer wrote of everything wrong with the game. And, it, you know, it addresses basically every issue you had with it. They're like, you know, and here's why this was that way. Here's why this is that way. The reason we're saying this is because we are going to go through and rebuild the entire campaign, rework all the systems to fix these problems. And then we're going to make new campaigns using this engine that are going to be in scale of the original. So they're basically going to take my favorite game of last year and fix what was wrong with it and then make more of it. I'm excited. I, I do want to play that with you, dude. I, you I got to join us, man. The four-player mod is awesome. I, I, I was very happy to hear you admit to me or, or at least agree with me that the beginning of that game is pretty tough. Well, especially having now done it three times. When we started playing, we started playing it with Mike from RPG Fan and... You know, my buddy and I, who have played the game, were like, yeah, we got to go here, got to go here, get this. You know, my basically Mike and I were doing the story while my friend went and stole everything that wasn't nailed down in town. So we had, like, <laughs> super magical gear. But, you know, you walk out of the town and it's very difficult to tell where you should be going because it's like every time you leave town, it's like, well, there are four levels ahead of me. I'm dead. There are three levels ahead of me. Which way do I go? Yeah. So. But, yeah, excited for that. All right, guys. Um... For Stephen and Caitlin, thanks so much for listening to the show. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and give us reviews. We always love to hear that. Start sending us some letters again. I'd like to do some more uh, listener mail at some point. Once we reach kind of a a saturation, we can kind of make it a big segment. And uh, right now, we are going to pass the show over to my interview with uh, Michelle and James over at Ska Studios as they talk to us about Salt and Sanctuary. Which is another game we're looking forward to because it's 2D Dark Souls. Yes, it is. So uh, enjoy that interview, everybody.
Hi everybody, this is uh, Rob Steinman, Pale Robbie on the Boards, and today I am joined by Michelle and James Silva from Ska Studios to talk about Salt and Sanctuary. Salt and Sanctuary. See, I'm already off to a great start. <laughs> no uh, worries. Hey. Go right ahead and introduce yourself, guys. Uh, I'm I'm James. Uh, I'm one half of Ska Studios. Yeah, I'm Michelle, the other half of Ska Studios, and uh, together we make the entire games. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've we've made uh, games like the Dishwasher series, uh, Dead Samurai, and Vampire Smile. Um, more recently, Charlie Murder, and then the for some reason really popular, I made a game with zombies in it. <laughs> and uh, right now, like you said, we're working on Salt and Sanctuary, which is a very hard name to say. <laughs> very hard to say. To say. I had to game. I had to think about it really hard to say it. <laughs> Well, that kind of fits in, I think, a little bit with the motif of the game. So, right? uh, but when when I looked <laughs> at this level is high to be. <laughs> when I looked so at this game, I think uh, you guys first announced it at one of the Sony press conference events. Like that was the first time we kind of got a chance to see it, and it looks like a 2D Demon Souls or Dark Souls. So, can you guys talk a little bit about the development of that? Like, why did you guys decide to make this kind of game, and what sort of inspirations are going into it? Yeah, we actually showed it for the first time at PAX last year, and um, it got a, a good amount of coverage, but it seems like more recently more people are hearing about it um, through we did the PlayStation experience, and that was sort of a, a bigger thing, um, just attention-wise. And then more recently, um, a lot of people are getting to know it through uh, the YouTuber Bati Vidya, and that just like kind of exploded the attention that we've been getting for the game. Um and we, we started about about two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago. I kind of coincided with when our honeymoon started. Like, we kind of conceived this game on our honeymoon, which is funny. Um, <laughs> if you put it there. There's a joke in there somewhere. There's a joke in there, really right? <laughs> Usually you use that word for babies, but no, these games are our babies. <laughs> um, yeah. You can talk more. About uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I remember kind of, um, you know, when I was in the middle of, or I think, I mean, it was around, it was around working on Charlie Murder. Um, you know, people were telling me I have to play this game called Dark Souls, and I, I, uh, you know, I was just like, all right, fine, I'll try it out, and, and um, I just ended up obsessed with it. Like every <laughs> every time I wasn't playing it, I was I was like reading up on the lore and everything, and uh, um, you know, at some point, I was like, I was like, would this work as like a two D game? You know, it, it just it seemed like a like a funny idea. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, our, like the our our studio history. You know, you look at games like Dishwasher, Dead Samurai, and Vampire Smile, and like, you know, it had that it had that same um, that, that that same kind of gameplay where if you're standing in the way of a truck that's coming toward you and you're just mashing the buttons, like you're gonna have a bad time. Which I think is just it's it's just really great to. I mean, I, I love playing games like that where they where they really force you to to you know analyze the the situation, stay on your toes, and. Um, and it was it was just kind of this experiment like how would that how would like a, a you know a, a souls like game work as a 2D game, um, and then you know I mean I I heard that that uh, like and, and it actually it wasn't it wasn't apparent playing through it but but when you hear it it, it kind of makes sense that that Dark Souls was kind of like the first new Castlevania game since the uh, you know since the the, the 2D games kind of kind of went out. Um, so, you know, I mean, you kind of, you kind of look at that, at that, like that landscape of, of, you know, punishing, but fair games, um, you know, from, from our own game to Castlevania to Dark Souls. And it's like, it's like, Hey, could we imagine this as a, as a 2D game? Would that work? And I just, I started working on it kind of as a, as like a fun little side project and, and everyone who saw it was like, 
don't stop working on this. Keep working on it. And I was like, well, you know, isn't it kind of kind of derivative? And, you know, they'd say, no, just make the dumb game, James. <laughs> do it. Just yeah. do it. I want to play yeah. it. Stop thinking about it. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, and then it, it just became like um, just such a, such a, you know, work of passion. Like I would just every day wake up excited to, to you know, see what else I could add into it. Now I'm Now I'm kind of at the slowing down stage where there's a lot of, you know, a lot of polish to be added, and <laughs> but but it was. I mean, it's been a really fun game to work on, um, especially as like a, as a huge Souls fan. It's. I mean, like you know, when you're a huge fan of a game, being able to make your own type of that game is like it's it's just it's it's this self actualization thing that's just really hard to describe. Other than it's it's amazing. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. I mean, it it definitely strikes me as a game I want to play. Like, when, when you guys showed it at PAX, you know, I was forgetting that that was PAX when you showed it the first time, but it, it looked very playable. You know what I mean? Like, it looked like the kind of game that you could jump right into and start playing. It, it seems to ha- have, like, very tight 2D mechanic controls. How do you guys go about making a traditional 2D game that, like you said, has a lot in ca- common with Castlevania? How do you make that challenging without being overbearing to the player? Like, difficulty is one of those really hard things to get right, right where you don't punish the player, you still incentivize them to keep going. How do you guys go about doing um, that? I think, like, just design the design process of that has to be really iterative. Um, you have to, like, keep going back to it. And, like, maybe you get it right on the first try, but it just takes a whole lot of, like, testing it, not only yourself, but giving it to other people um, who have different play styles and seeing how they do with it. And because James can just blow through the game pretty easily, um, he still has some challenging moments where he'll die a lot. But uh, for the most part, he'll just blow through it. And then, you know, you have to be able to give it to someone else and say, like, okay, how does this feel? Like, is it challenging enough and not being like super frustrating? And then when you do defeat that guy, is it rewarding? You know, is magic OP? Is magic OP? <laughs> it was yeah. kind of it's kind of been OP. Does <laughs> this? <laughs> Does like his boss Souls have even. something? Yeah. Does his boss have something that makes it totally easy to cheese him? That's probably like the hardest one to figure out. Um, there's always like, there's always a way to cheese a boss. <laughs> oh yeah, I've, I, we even see that with Demon Souls and Dark Souls now. Yeah. There's still ways to get the Flame Lurker locked in on something to make it really easy to kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or Destiny. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, what, what was that? What were the people doing? Like pulling the modem. Like pulling the cord on the PlayStation 4 or whatever, so that it would lock the enemy, and then they could do damage to it. Was that what was? Oh, happening I didn't there? even know about that one. I, I don't just... know about that one. We know about one that was um the, the Templar or something. Yeah, and then they fixed that. You one. could uh, you can like force him to just fall off the cliff by doing. Like, oh doing yeah, I did things. hear about yeah. that. We did that once with the. That once. It, it was, was with the group really of, of bad eggs that we we, we got <laughs> caught up with. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The the art style of Salton Sanctuary is just very, very striking. Like, there's something almost dreamlike and nightmarish about it. Like, I, I get a little bit of a limbo vibe from it when you look at it from one angle, and then you look at it again, it's got that Castlevania vibe. Like, how do you guys get that that distinct art style? Like, it, it looks like it's its own game. There, This isn't going to be accused of looking like anything else. <laughs> I think that's one, that's one topic that, like, we just kind of think about it and go, I don't really know, <laughs> because... Um, James just has had his style, and then I help out and try to style match. And there's not a whole lot of process to like how should this look ahead of time. You just sort of start making it, and maybe it's subconscious, but um, it's just sort of the way you do things. <laughs> and it's—I mean—a lot of it's a combination of, of you know, just 
drawing, just hand drawing, and then um, and then getting kind of clever with with uh, the the filters and stuff that we that we put on it. Um, and you know, I mean, like like level design and and enemy design, a lot of it's really iterative. Where you know, you just you yeah. look at something and you're like, that looks good. No, it doesn't. <laughs> you know? And then it doesn't, and then you fix yeah. it. You just you just yeah. do it, kind of test it out over and over again. And maybe that's not the fastest way to do it, but I found that it's oftentimes the best way. Um, as long as you mm-hmm are able to stop yourself at a point and not just keep doing it forever and ever. Right. For instance, I think the village of smiles looks a little muddy right now, (laughs) but I don't know. It it, it could, it could use some work. I think, I mean, everything is, everything is in process, but yeah, the, the first, um, like the, the, the foggy, you know, beach that you, that you kind of come, come into was, uh, that was that was like the first kind of style that I that I just you know got working and it it's probably just the best <laughs> it just it just it really feels just like stark and and you know uninviting and and cold and and uh, you know I'm I'm basically like the rest of the game I'm trying to get to that level of, of like just you know an inspiring emotion but it's uh it, I mean it's it's a hard thing to to get right sometimes yeah you definitely want you want areas to have their own distinct feel and. You know, there's an overall theme to it, to the feel of, of the art and such, but then you want, like, you want areas to be unique, too, um, and have their own thing going on. I think, like, like mm-hmm. theme-wise, um, so there's, there's this whole, like, dichotomy between um, these, you know, sanctuaries and the horrible, horrible outside world. And, uh, you know, a sanctuary is a, is a warm place where you can you can make some friends and heal up. Uh, but once you go out there, like, it, it's... I I kind of started looking at it because we were we were doing um like marathon marathon training uh, last summer and I kind of started looking at it like like you only have a limited amount of time until you just until in, until you just succumb you know until you you're can done. Yeah. yeah you can you can like eat some eat some food drink some water and then you go out running and like an hour later you're just like you're just like nope the elements have killed me you know? and <laughs> eventually that, you just are done. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's sort of like that, or like, or like in you know, in, in a game with like a water area where you're, you know, you can get some oxygen, and then you go underwater, and you're like, let's let's get to the next area, you know, and then you, you I, I really wanted that this sort of feel, like here's a really warm place, and then you know, the the outside world is so is so, you know, it's it's just so um, hostile and and just just drained of of color and life that it, it just it'll drag you down, it'll eventually just just you know keep you down um and i there's a like like you you get um you you take kind of like chip wounding damage when you get hurt so um uh so so when you heal after you've been hurt a little bit you know your max health bar will be will be lower until you revisit a sanctuary um and there's a you know similar mechanic with stamina too so it's kind of like you know you can, you can only really go so far and it's, it's it's very much inspired by the by the estus flask you know like like with with Estes flasks, like it doesn't really matter how how well you are, you've, you've got to hit that bonfire at some point. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that that's um, that that was you know a big a big theme that I was going for it was just this kind of suffocating outside world. Cool, cool. Um, this is a little bit more of a minutia question, but after playing <laughs> Lords of the Fallen two months ago, and I think our fans will remember, I was not a big fan of that game, and I, I had a lot of issues with it. But it, you have a lot of different um, a lot of different equipment in Salt and Sanctuary. It looks like from all the videos that are online, is it kind of like where you get the short sword and you can upgrade that short sword as you go along, or do you eventually maybe get a new short sword that does more damage? So there's no reason to go back to the previous one, if that makes sense. Like, how are you guys? kind of handling uh getting new equipment and what the decisions the player has to make are going to be yeah so the so the way it's set up to, to balance um 
is yeah, you can you can take like a like a low level weapon and and just upgrade it and keep using it through the whole game. Because oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if you played Lords of the Fallen, but that was like I finally found a weapon that I liked, and then eventually the enemies were just too strong for it. So now I had to use something that I didn't want to oh, use. Oh yeah, yeah that, and there was nothing I could do about right? it. Right, that's that's kind of the the dumb way. I mean, it, it's funny because that's sort of the classic way. Um, but then you know, mm-hmm. once once you know, well, I mean, Demon Souls really just just went nuts with it. Um, and then I think I think each each subsequent Souls game kind of reined it in a little bit, but it's sort of how you you pick a weapon and then you just you just do whatever you want with it, and and um, um, you know that's that's like you know this is my rifle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's you, let like you play yeah. Yeah. let you play how you want more than like kind of shoehorn you into a certain thing. Like we're we're playing a little bit of um, the Stick of Truth right now, and it's hilarious. Um, but it's doing a bit of that like you just keep getting new and new stuff, and you have to keep switching over to that new stuff and lose like that cool thing they used to have that you really liked <laughs> yeah no I, I like that this is my my gun analogy like that's that's exactly how i feel i'm actually playing stick of truth <laughs> too and again it's a great game but there's something really comforting about knowing exactly how the weapon is going to behave like when when you're playing a souls game you know how a katana behaves you know the ichigatana what that's going to do when all of a sudden you have to use a mace because it's doing more damage that's now throwing you off your game it's it's forcing you to play a certain way right, right. um yeah and i, I guess <laughs> I, I guess the move sets um are just basically the same across each class of weapons so it's not so much a um, it's it's more of a cosmetic issue, I guess. And then there are weapons that that um, are just are just stuck with certain elemental damage types too. So there's mm-hmm. there's that. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean it's it's not it's not one to one with uh, with Dark Souls. And there's there are weapons that'll be more more powerful. Um, but it, like basically, you can pick a weapon, and if you keep upgrading it and and you keep putting points into the into your stats that the weapon levels with, um, you you all end up about the same with with um, other weapons of of uh, you know. Of that class cool cool it, it looks like you guys also incorporated the sphere grid from final fantasy 10 with the <laughs> yeah, upgrade system bit. i mean this giant branching right. like holy hell just looking at yeah it. um i uh <laughs> that, you know, I, everything's a work in progress for i don't sure. mean that I, <laughs> I don't mean that as a bad thing. I thought it was cool. It was just very surprising. Yeah. Um. So. So. It. I, I might. I might play with it a little bit <laughs> before. Before where everything's all said and done. Um. It's um. It's kind of like a like a hybrid, between um just like a like a grid of of you know of skills um and and just like the the points based approach of of Souls games. Um, you're, you're basically like, you, you kind of set out, a, a, you know, for, for a goal. Like, it's like, oh, I want to, I want to go for like swords and crossbows. So you start putting points toward those directions. Um, and there are, there are, um, proficiency nodes that'll, that'll like, um, you know, it'll say like, you can wield a level three sword when you get to this node. Um, but on the way to that node, you're going to have to put some points into, into stats too. You know, like it'll, and, and it'll kind of lean toward whatever that weapon is. So you'll be more, more dexterity for crossbows and swords than more strength for like maces and, and great hammers and stuff. Um, so you might feel like you're wasting points a little, but they're all relevant. Um, the, the, I mean, the, the, the story idea to it is you're, is you're basically, you know, telling a story of, of training. You know, you're not just like, you're not just like, I can suddenly wield hammers. You're like, well, I put some, points into strength and in doing so I ended up 
you know, gaining some endurance too. Um, cause it's all, you know, the, the idea is it's all sort of linked in, a, in like a realistic setting. Um, but that's, that's, you know, it's our own, it's our own take on it. I actually, like, I, I just put the grid in and, or the, you know, the, the whatever, <laughs> the, the skill in. And then I played Path of Exile for the first time and I was like, oh, it's like Path of Exile. <laughs> so that, that was, that was my comparison. And then I don't think, I guess I've played Final Fantasy X, like, a little, but I really don't remember it too well. Uh, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean that that's kind of the idea with, with it is just telling the story of training, um, and I, I think I'm I'm pretty happy with with how it works. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have a respec option? Like if I, <laughs> I, the big joke on the pod, the big joke on the podcast is I always break my characters. Okay. <laughs> I I get very indecisive and I end up breaking them. Do you guys have a respec for? You know, we like currently me. don't, but it's been asked about a lot, and I definitely uh-huh. see both sides of the argument. I mean, I really like what Dark Souls Two did with with soul vessels, but even then, when you when you use a soul vessel and you have a, a new character, it really doesn't feel like your character because you didn't you weren't part of that that story of creating the character. You well, know, the problem I had with the soul vessel, and I had to use it many times, um, uh, is that once you use it and you talk to the lady, you have to decide right then what you're going to put your stats into. You can't like go back to it. Mm-hmm. You have to decide uh, right now. Bring up the wiki on your phone. <laughs> to figure out what you want to wield. Yeah, to, you're like, oh no. The Dark Souls two calculator. Right yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Michelle, you're just not putting enough effort into it. I know. You gotta bring up your character. I mean, I remember that from from Dark Souls one. You know, you could you could like calculate your character out because that was like you know if you put one point in the wrong thing, I mean that's just you know your your soul level's a little bit screwed up just like that. You know. Yep. Yep. Do you guys have any, um, I think I saw a little bit of an online component where you can see how people died, which is that, you know, very schadenfreude part of the Soul series. Do you guys have any other online components outside um, of that? So, so that's, it's more of an experiment on, for, like, I mean, I mean, it's me right now, um, but, uh, uh, I guess, like, the the bottom line issue is I don't know how well it's going to work on, on PS4, like, we're kind of we're kind of working with this this um, somewhat in progress library um, for for PS4 stuff. So and I know if you're like looking forward to playing it on PC, you're like I don't care. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I mean, it would it would be nice to to kind of like release the same game on on all consoles. Um, so, sure. uh, um, but yeah, I mean, we have um, there's a uh, there, uh, so there's one thing in the in the in the Vati Vidya um, thing where he it said a pile of dead is forming in the bottom left corner and he thought that was referring to the to the enemies getting up but it actually is a is a community grind kind of thing where once you hit a certain amount of worldwide deaths a, a big pile of bodies kind of emerges <laughs> I mean basically the oh. yeah it goes from there's there's this big pit and then and then once you hit half of the of the body count cap it it um, you know, yeah, the, the pit suddenly is full of bodies. And then once you hit the whole body count cap, the pit is full of enough bodies to jump up to reach this this thing that you can get to. So there's there's uh there's stuff like that. I'm just I'm just worried that it'll it'll be like, you know, we try getting it working on PS4 and it's just like, nope, nope. <laughs> you know? I know I know that. Transistor has something like that, so it should be something of a possible thing. But you mm-hmm. know, it's it's I'm I'm like a I'm like an okay programmer. I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a wizard of of coding, <laughs> so so we'll see. I'm, I might have to ask for help with it. Um, but yeah, there's there's the the so we have. I, mean, I think there's like there's two community grind type things in the in the game that are that are um, you know sort of very experimental at this stage. Um, and uh, there's the there's the gravestones that that make uh, 
you know, they, they make little ghost bodies that, you know, they do their dying animation. And that was actually, there There was a crash in the, in the value video one that I, I fixed since it was actually a really interesting crash to find. <laughs> uh, there's that. And then you can leave little message bottles for each other. Um, ah, there's one more thing. Oh, I, um, yeah, yeah, it's like a, it's like a subtle one, but the candles in front of every boss indicate the, the win versus loss, uh, Oh, oh that's yeah! Cool. All the I don't know if you just said this. All the like bodies in front of like the doorway, the first doorways you come across. Those bodies are players that have died there. Um, and then there's little heads on spikes up at the boss, and those are players' heads. Yeah, um, I'm gonna. I wanted to add some players in, in more like torturey situations. <laughs> there's, <laughs> right. there's this like torture dungeon in the game, but you know. <laughs> that, but that's great because that's like one of my. One of my favorite moments from Demon Souls was um, in the the second area, like the lava. I, I'm totally forgetting names now, but like the the kind of lava area, and you had to go down the elevator to the giant spider. <laughs> and as I stepped onto the elevator, there were about 27 blood stains around me, and I and I had to flip this switch. And I just remember hemming and hawing about this switch for 10 minutes. <laughs> like, I was like, I if I flip that switch, right. I'm gonna die. <laughs> And it t- and it turned out that everybody was just flipping the switch and then rolling off Oops. the elevator yeah. to their death. But it that's, was, but it was like this moment of just absolute panic. That's Michelle's favorite part of Dark. There's, this, there's the part, um, yeah, when you get off, you, you get off the ship after you fight the like the pirates' cove area. You take the ship over, and there's all these blood stains all along the dock. And you're thinking, oh no, yeah. what is what is Ott want to get off this ship? You look at every single one of them. The majority of them are trying to run and jump back onto the ship, but the ship isn't solid anymore. You just fall in the water. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Oh, but that's cool, though. And, and I hope that you guys have, have at least thought about the pile of bodies turning into the Grand Falloon enemy from Castlevania Symphony of the Night, like the giant ball giant ball of bodies that were falling. Have you guys ever seen that oh, before? Yeah. <laughs> that's just what I'm imagining you guys do with a boss now, is just turn it into the Grand Falloon and start shooting lasers right. at you and stuff after you use it to get up Forgot to the area. I don't know. Take that one for free. Yeah, yeah, and he, he starts shooting <laughs> lasers after the bodies start coming off. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that that boss is my favorite boss from Castlevania Symphony of the Night, so that just... <laughs> uh, that was a good one. That was a good one. Um... So, oh man, where do we go? I'm, I'm just excited to play this damn game more than anything else. Do you guys have a date set, or are we kind of keeping it the Nebulous 2015 right yeah, now? We're, it, yeah, it's we, just we just don't know, yeah. Yeah, when you're working with a small team, it's kind of like, you know, whenever the damn thing's right. done, yeah. honestly. It's, it's not but... like we're hiding any kind of date, we're just, we just don't know yet. Yeah, you get a lot of weird, uh, weird, weird anger about not having a date, or, it's, it's just like, well, okay, um... Like, do you want me to make up a date that's wrong? Because <laughs> I, I mean, I guess we could do. That. We could just say we could just say like, all right, September sixteenth, and then and then people will be like September sixteenth, yeah. And then when September sixteenth comes around, if we're still like if we're still pretty far off, we'll be like, okay, it's actually gonna be you know like November sixteenth. And then you just keep doing that. And you keep, <laughs> but that's well, is well, that in some ways. Though? Is that worse? Is to, like, make worse? Up a day and miss the day? Would, everyone be, would everyone be pleased if I did that? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's weird because for, you know, I am I just turned 30 like a month ago, so I'm you know, a little bit older than the average gamer right now, and I, I teach at a, at a boarding school, so I, I interact with kids all day, they love their Call of Duties and everything. They know when their games are going to come out, you know what I mean? Like, they know Call of Duty, that comes out in the fall, they know the new Madden comes out in August, they have a strict timeline, but when we were kids... Like, when Zelda A Link to the Past coming out, you, you got me. It, it's when coming it out at some yeah. point. 
and then it came out. So I think with the indie games, you're kind of seeing because it's smaller teams working on them, and, and there's a lot of iteration, there's a lot of things being added, there's a level of it will come out when it's ready that younger gamers aren't used to now with the rapid sequelization and with the different teams working on different games. And, and then I think, you know, that so that's one side of it. And then I would say the other side of it is some games will come out. Like, I, I felt like I was hearing about um, Wasteland 2 for years and years and years before it finally came out. So it's almost like I had time to get excited about it think that it was coming out, and then by the time it came out, I was kind of over it, you know what I mean? Like, I, I was really excited about this game, and then I started playing a whole lot of other things, so it's really hard, I think, for any developers to hit that, where you get the excitement, red hot, everybody's ready to go with this game, and then, you know, obviously things may happen on a small team, we have to be respectful of that, but that, then I think it can be really hard on some gamers who, then the next game they know is coming out in February, or the next game's coming out in March, that sort of thing. That, that's just my thought process sure. Yeah, yeah. I remember with with like Brink. For some weird reason, I was really excited to play Brink, and then when it launched, I was I was like, I'm not, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna get this. <laughs> and then I never got yeah. it. And then I, I mean, it got pretty pretty lackluster reviews anyway. But it was it was uh, that 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 made me think of that, <laughs> you know, because it's just like you'll be excited <laughs> about the idea of the game, and then and then all of a sudden it's just it just kind of kind of is gone. I don't know. Yeah. That- and early access is another part. I mean, early access is this really great thing, which I think is hugely important for the smaller teams to actually have people play their games and make them better. But, but then when you when you're selling the game on early access, is that a good thing? You know, you have to be really upfront with the users. There, there's a lot of real question marks there that the industry kind of has to keep. Figuring yeah. Out. Oh yeah, yeah. Early access is. Uh, I, I I mean, I don't think we've really considered doing it, but I mean, you, you see this this common pitfall. Um, where uh, you know a game will have this this big surge in early access, and I, I think you know you have relatively inexperienced developers who are like we're like hey we're making lots of money let's let's hire some people let's you know let, let's just like blow up the scope of this and they they just they mm-hmm. start you know kind of kind of branching out with with ideas and 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 new features and uh, and they they don't. They, they never get to a point where they're like, all right, it's good, it's good. Let's you know, let's 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 polish it up, rein it all in, you know, um, and then and then their user base will just kind of drop off, so they're not making any money anymore. Um, and and uh, yeah, then then you just end up with an with an unfinished game, um, that, and everyone everyone feels because uh, I, I think I think the idea is you know early access supporters feel like they're paying for the final product, and when that final product just kind of fizzles out. They they start to feel betrayed, and then there's it's kind of leading to this this sort of anti indie sentiment that I just I never thought I, I I just I could never imagine happening. I always I always thought we indie developers were the were the darlings of the industry, you know, <laughs> we're 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 the ones who who speak truth to power, you know. We and but it's I mean it, it's it's amazing. It's like everyone is uh everyone's capable of screwing up. Everyone's capable of of coming across as 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 greedy or or lazy or or uh, whatever. But you know I mean. I just I just like to take every chance I can say to be like, dude, we're we're gamers too. We want to make a really good game, and we really hope you like it. And uh, you know, we're sorry if you think that we're evil. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I feel like I could talk to you guys all day, um, but I, I don't want to kind of belabor the point. And also, I want you guys to get back <laughs> to working on the game so I can play it down the road. But uh, I I do kind of want to ask one question. I always do this with uh, developers to try to get you know one thing for the site. Um, is there anything that you guys can tell us that you haven't told anybody else about the game? You know, any, any kind of 
I don't know, just a little tidbit for our site. If the answer is no, I totally understand, but it, it's kind of like cool if maybe we get that one piece of info that nobody else knows about. I feel like the pile of bodies might have been it. Yeah. Have we talked about that? <laughs> I think we've kind of mentioned that before. Um, I don't think we've said what it does, have we? Well, I mean, it leads to a new area. It leads to a new area. Which is actually currently totally unfinished <laughs> in in development i kind of i kind of got it working and then i was like okay where where else can we go now um yeah i think that's good enough i, I, I think are you that satisfied cool. with that, that? <laughs> i think we're satisfied with that i uh, think we are we do, so, uh, uh, like you know we have our, our weekly streams so you can you can uh i mean a lot of stuff that we haven't we haven't put on the blog or on on you know any sort of like press release um a lot of stuff i'll, I'll be kind of experimenting with on the on the stream and and um you know i mean you can you can you can see bits of it here and there mm-hmm. yeah you can see some secret cool. stuff in the stream sometimes and people are asking questions all the time and we try to answer them as best we can yeah yep but yeah everyone everyone cool. asks like is there co-op is uh is it going to be on pc um <laughs> and then and, the, and, the, and, and well, then so the, the ultimate like why not xbox question that always oh, pops yeah. up yeah. Um, and can you customize your character and how much? That was that was kind of my big turnoff with Lords of the Fallen was I, I wanted to be my own character. I didn't want to be I didn't yeah. want to be that guy. <laughs> same same a little bit with Me. Bloodborne too. Like you just play as like well at least well, right now. That was the demo. That was, they, the they demo. Did that with, I don't know if they're gonna have they customized that. people or not. No, you will. They did that with Dark Souls with the demos too. Yeah. They, when I asked them, because uh, we were sitting in the theater, and I think we might have been one of the first groups at E3 to see the game, because my buddy Kyle and I, we ran in and we found Bloodborne and we sat down, <laughs> and the guy's given the demo, and I just did the teacher thing where I put up my hand and said, I gotta ask a question, <laughs> can you customize your character? And the guy was the guy talked to a translator and said yes. Yeah. So I was okay. like, okay, there we go. Right. So that's, that's yeah. good. Yeah. I'm seeing so, Dark Souls uh, 2 at, at GDC. And it yeah, was like they just same. showed the one armor guy. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. it's the same, yeah, yeah. I mean, or you get to pick like three presets classes and that's actually what we did because i got the yeah idea. that's what we did <laughs> that's what we did for our demos but we have like a, a number of characters with different races and genders involved so it looks like a little bit mm-hmm. more like you can customize yeah hairstyles cool. eye hairstyles <laughs> yeah the eye color is like you can't really even see your eyes most of the time <laughs> but maybe it's important to you yeah well, you get to customize your character in Dark Souls, and then they just look like a zombie. It's true. Yeah. You look, so, I mean, you look like a bacon, bacon person most of the time. Yeah, in Dark Souls 1, you look like bacon, and in Dark Souls 2, you look like you have gangrene. Yeah. Yeah, Dark Souls 2 is like a, like a Frankenstein-style zombie. It's not even like a like a zombie zombie. It's like a it's like a cartoon zombie, almost. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, the and then the co-op question that we always get asked. Um, I, I have a, a, a split screen or same screen local co-op that I'm I'm you know kind of trying to make good, um, and I you know I, I think it mostly works. It's the kind of thing where it, it should work, and if it doesn't, I don't want to have it in the game to screw it up. But I mostly can promise that it'll it'll be there, um, but it, it'll it'll be cool. local only. Awesome, awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, we're going to keep up on this game, and you know, you guys are more than welcome to come back on uh, as we get closer. So I think, uh, think for the listeners, thanks so much for listening. And uh, Michelle, James, thanks again hey, so thanks much. Thanks for having yeah, us. Thank you. It was fun. Yeah.